Sports Studios. It's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Alrighty, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Friday morning to each and every one of you. We've got it all straightened out here after a quick pickup. We welcome you as always to Off the Bench presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. Casey, Paul, Elliot, Jacob, good morning, men. Tom, how you doing? I'm doing great. You guys all right? Fantastic. Yes, Looking sir. We're going down to Great American Ballpark tonight. Very, very nice. We got a lot going on, and we got to get right to it today. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 A, a. to Ooh. 12 P. P. I didn't get the A in today. Ooh. You can join us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. If you'd rather join us in podcast form, just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman, and you're dialed in. They won the World Series in 2021. They have the best record in the National League this season. They have homegrown talent at virtually every position. They are who the Reds want to be. They are the Atlanta Braves. The surging Reds, winners of 12 or 11 straight games. Got ahead of myself there. We'll get a look at the mighty Braves starting tonight at Great American Ballpark in the opener of a three-game series. Atlanta has a lofty winning streak of its own. Eight straight, including a sweep they finish off Philadelphia yesterday. Tonight in game one, interesting story here, 20-year-old right-hander A.J. Smith-Shawver will get the start against Luke Weaver. Smith-Shawver has really come out of nowhere in a rapid ascension to the big leagues. He was a seventh-round pick in 2021 out of high school just outside of Fort Worth, Texas. This time last year, he was pitching in rookie ball, finish year at low A. <laughs> This season, it's been even more amazing. He's gone from high A to double A to triple A, and now the big leagues in two and a half months. Tonight will be his third major league start, his fourth major league game. So far, 13 innings, 11 strikeouts, nine hits, five runs allowed, including two home runs. Weaver, on the other hand, former number one pick, has struggled. His last four starts have covered a total of 18 innings, where he's allowed 18 runs. First pitch is 640. Reds are a game and a half ahead of Milwaukee, three and a half better than Chicago. The Brewers open a series in Cleveland for the Cubbies. Rare but true. They're over in London, where they're off today and will face the Cardinals starting tomorrow. Speaking of the Braves, they have seven players who are finalists to be starters for the National League All-Star team. They changed this whole thing up where you do the voting you get it down to the top two at every position except for the outfield and then you have a runoff between those two at each position Ronald Acuna Jr. leads all players and fans voting so far and he should because he's a National League's best player college baseball we're down to the final two teams in the college world series and it's an all SEC affair LSU got a walk-off home run in the bottom of the 11th inning it was nothing nothing to beat Wade Forest last night, 2-0 the final. So now the Tigers will face Florida in a best-of-three final over the weekend. FC Cincinnati back at it tomorrow. And that will be in D.C., a quick turnaround after Wednesday night's game at home over Toronto. FCC has the best record in the MLS this season, has not lost a game since April the 15th. The voice of the team, Tommy G, Tommy Gallerter, will join us in about five minutes to talk about tomorrow's game. The NBA draft took place last night, and history was made after the Spurs, as expected, took the French star Victor 
Wambayama, is that right? Wambayama, yeah. Wambayama, okay. There we go. Twin brothers, Amen, and is it Asar? Asar? I think so. Is that how you pronounce it? Anyway, the Thompson twins, that was an old band back in the 80s. But they became the first brothers taken in the top five picks of the same NBA draft since it started with the merger of the ABA back in 76. Lonzo and LaMelo Ball were both top five picks, but not in the same draft. Colby Jones, there you go, from Xavier, taken in the second round by Charlotte. Okay, so you think you're going to Charlotte. Then you're traded <laughs> to Boston. You're thinking, all right, Beantown, here we go. Then you're traded to Sacramento. That all happened to Colby Jones. God bless him. Bottom line is he's going to the NBA. Tamani Kamara out of Dayton, also a second-round pick. He goes to Phoenix. Indiana and Kentucky each had two players taken in the first round. Ohio State's Bryce Sensabaugh was a first-round pick by Utah. The rest of the draft continues later tonight. We got Tommy G yet? I no, know we you did wanted not. to get on soon. We did not. Not yet. Okay. Uh, this is also, by the way, I was talking with our main man over here, Jacob, who, if you don't know, is the video guy. He handles all the video for the University of Alabama football. I mean, Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide of Alabama. This is a huge weekend for college football if you're into that whole recruiting thing. Because this is the final weekend before they go into a period where you can't talk to recruits, you can't bring them in. There are a boatload of top 100 recruits in the country who have not committed. Ohio State's got about 11 of them there this weekend. Alabama, Georgia, all the same. What's it like to come into Alabama for a weekend when you're a recruit? Or any of these schools? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fun time. You get to see, at least at Alabama, you get to see a whole lot of trophies and a whole lot of rings. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a good recruiting pitch. So you generally, when you come in... Uh, you know, you see all the movies and stuff where they get these guys going out and girls and drinking and all that kind of thing. But you were saying, you know what? You know, yeah, you might go to a party with somebody on a Friday or Saturday night. But most of the time, you're there with your mom or dad or both or whatever it might be. And you're right. doing a lot of things with position coaches or coordinators or Saban, right? Correct. Yeah. So most of the time when, when top recruits get there or even, not any recruit gets there, we take them through the facility, see, you know, the trophy rooms, meet the coaches, stuff like that. And then they meet with their position coach. And they meet with their coordinator, either offensive or defensive. And then them and their family will go into Saban's office and do that whole big thing. That's where you see the pictures of them, you know, with the rings and the trophies and stuff like that. So most of the time spent on campus on your visit is, is in the facility. And it's, it's very monitored. And, you know, there's NCAA rules on who you can and can't talk to and how long. So you follow a very regimented schedule. And then you leave the facility and you're usually paired up with a player at your position, either a freshman or a sophomore that lives in the dorm. You spend the rest of the night, maybe the rest of the weekend with them go to a party with the team, you know, something like that. All, all you know, relax. You're right. not going to the bar. You're not going to, you know, anything like that. Right. But you get to meet some of the guys on the team and stuff like that. So it's a good, a good way for the, you know, players to not only get to know the coaches and know that they fit with the team in that sense, but get to know the players and know, you know, have some friends when you get there in the fall to a new environment. Do they go on a uh, – I have to believe that part of that kind of weekend, it has to include an, an actual visit and walk around the campus, right? So you right. see the campus like any college Correct. would. Correct, yeah. So, so the way the Alabama campus is set up is the, the athlete dorms are kind of across from the, from the facility, across the quad from the facility. So they take you straight through campus from the, from the dorm to the facility. So you get to see the whole thing, you know, the populated areas, walking around, see the buildings and everything like that. I would imagine it'd be kind of weird. It's like, uh, and look, I've done this with both of my kids. It's really strange to go to a college campus. If you're a regular student, you're an athlete, whatever it is, it's really weird 
to go to uh, a college when the students aren't there. We'll, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit ma- uh, later on. All right, Tommy Gallardo, voice of FC Cincinnati. Uh, man, oh man, Tommy G. <laughs> April the 15th, this I team know. lost a game. You had some, some posts on Twitter, though, that went even deeper in, into that. What was the yeah. last 34, 35, 36, 37 games? Yep. The record of this 34 franchise? games. Yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable. They've only lost three in their last 34 games, dating back to last year. So 34 games is what an MLS regular season is. So I wanted to dig a little bit and see going into that match on Wednesday night because they were at exactly the halfway point of the season with 17 games. So you take the last 17 from last year and the first 17 from this year, and 65 points is a really, really good Major League Soccer season. The last few years, it would not have won the Supporters' Shield, but it would have had you really close. And the pace that the team is on this year is enough to win the Supporters' Shield. So uh, it is uh, insanely exciting to think about how far this team has come, what they can do this year, and kind of kind of what lies ahead as they dive into the second half of the season. And they started the second half of the season on a very positive note with a win, same way they started the regular season. You know, I'm curious, Tommy, you know, because you watch other sports and you see certain teams and they might have the best record in their league or the best record in all of baseball. Let's just use that as an example. Yeah, they're they're very different sports. I mean, you might play somebody on a three game weekend series like Atlanta coming to town. It's a one game deal uh, once a week, twice a week, sometimes like this week Is, is FC Cincinnati clearly that much better than the other teams in the league. I think that there's a handful of elite teams in the league, but for my money today, FC Cincinnati is the best team in Major League Soccer. And I will argue that until I am blue in the face. And the results prove as much. They've defeated Seattle, who I would probably say is in that group uh, of elite teams in Major League Soccer. Uh, They've defeated Nashville, who is the closest team, both in the Supporters' Shield and the Eastern Conference to FC Cincinnati. They defeated them in Nashville. Uh, they have defeated some of the top teams in the league. And there's no shame in that. They won't play LAFC unless they see them in League's Cup or in the MLS Cup final. And that's just the way that the schedule works out. So they won't have a chance to play LAFC. But I think when you talk about the four best teams right now in MLS are LAFC, Seattle, Nashville, and FC Cincinnati. I think St. Louis is probably close to that. And that's the one loss on the schedule. And it was an odd night. It was a terrible night. Uh, it, it didn't work out. I'd, I'd love to see St. Louis again. And again, the only way they'll see St. Louis is like LAFC would be in, in League's Cup match or uh, MLS Cup final. And I think Pat Noonan and everybody would love another chance to take on St. Louis. But yeah, for my money, they are the best team in Major League Soccer today. Now, does that mean after 34 games, they will still be the top team in MLS? I don't know. They could be, and they may be. And I know Chris Albright's out trying to reinforce the roster and get some new guys in. And, and that's certainly only going to help their case. All right, well, walk me through a little bit, Tommy, because I was reading through some of your posts on Twitter. And, you know, right now it looks like as all-stars, a team would have at least two, perhaps more than that. But you also brought up the fact that Coach Noonan is not the coach. How in the world do you have the best? I mean, I don't know how that's possible in any sport. Can you try to explain it? Right. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think uh, you and I probably care a lot more than Pat does. Uh, he's a pretty modest guy. and he's If, if I ask him about it, he's probably just going to say, look, uh, I, I, it doesn't matter to me uh, whether I get these honors. Uh, I think he's the runaway candidate for Coach of the Year right now. But it, it doesn't make sense 
that in 18, so there's been 20 match days when they award a coach of the match day in Major League Soccer. FC Cincinnati has played 18 of those 20 match days, and they've won 13 of those 18. And you're telling me that in those 13 match days that they won, that Pat Noonan wasn't the best coach in the league on any of them? He certainly was the best coach this past Wednesday. That's the one that really kind of curdled my blood, kind of, kind of raised my blood pressure a little bit because he was missing arguably six starters for the game. Right. He started Ray Gaddis in his 233rd career MLS start at center back. He never played a match at center back in a major league soccer regular season game. He played at center back and he played well. He started Marco Angulo in defensive midfield, which is a position he's, he's very comfortable with, but hadn't really excelled at this year. Marco played really, really well. He started Yuya Kubo up top alongside Don Baji. The team played well, missing those guys and won in convincing fashion. That's coach of the match day type material, and, and yet he didn't get it. And uh, I think at this point he's probably like, you know what, I, I don't need all that. I don't need the attention. So let's just keep it rolling. And uh, I think he'll take the wins and the three points every week um, over any accolades. I, you know, I always like you asking you, Tommy, about, you know, sort of soccer 101 for a lot of people. I mean, the, the, the franchise clearly right. has an unbelievable fan base, but I think there is certainly room in any sport or anything in life for growth and expansion with your fan base in this case. When you talk about these guys uh, playing places that either they've never played before or had very little experience and or success mm -hmm. at, does right. that tell the common guy like me or the common person watching this who's trying to learn more and more and more about soccer and FC that Coach Noonan is the kind of guy that, that he's looking at this roster and he's not afraid yep. to ask guys to do these different things. Correct. And they, he also knows you have players that are all in and willing to do these kinds For of sure. things. One, I think that's the most important part right there, Tom. You nailed it. It's the culture, right, that he has built in his team in a year and a half as the head coach. And he, he, when he stood at the podium, when he was hired, he said it was time to change the culture. And that, that was the number one priority was, was fixing the culture. And he has got these guys to buy in in such an amazing and uh, compelling way that we've seen it. And, and that's why when he asked a guy like Ray Gattis, he wouldn't ask Ray Gattis to play center back if Ray couldn't do it. And that's why he gives opportunities these guys. That's why he got three homegrown products into the game to give them their major league soccer debuts in the match at TQL Stadium. Think about being 15 years old, a couple of days shy of your 16th birthday and walking out on the pitch in front of 25,513 fans and making your debut. But he puts people in positions that they can be successful and that's what he did. But if you're telling me that there's not 100% buy-in from everybody in that dressing room, then uh, something's not right because everybody in there is bought in in the process and in what they're doing. And it shows in the results. And uh, I give Pat and his staff all the credit in the world. But you give credit to the guys, too, because they have believed in the head coach. They've believed in the assistant coaches. And they've done exactly what they've been asked to do. And it's been so much fun to watch. All right, look, I know you're hitting the road here soon to go to D.C. over yeah, the weekend. Good. I, I want to ask you, though, about this Jimenez kid. Um, you just alluded yeah. to it. 15 years old, three days away right. from his 16th birthday when he made his professional debut the other night. Uh, at home right. against Toronto. I, put that into perspective. I mean, are we going to see this kid play for the team the rest of the year? Is it going to be one of those things where maybe you see well, him? Probably not. But, I mean, this is an unbelievable story, this kid. It, it really is. I think uh, Cincinnati had a, had a teenager debut once that ended up doing all right. Just now. Yeah, he did. Uh, you're right. Many, you're right. Many, many years ago. Yes. And a good family friend of yours. Uh, but, uh, look, I, 
it's it's really exciting because that's what Major League Soccer is trying to do with these homegrown products, right? Is have these local kids who come up and become the local heroes. Uh, will we see a lot of Steven this year? I don't know because the midfield is crowded with very talented veterans who are playing. But there are situations where guys miss time and they need people to step in. And, and he may. In the meantime, he's playing for the FC Cincinnati 2 team. And they're just down the road at NKU where they play their home games. And if you haven't gone to watch them, they're a lot of fun. The games are free. There's discounted concessions. They have hot dogs and Gatorades. I think they serve beer, all that. And, and you can go watch the future of the team. So if Steven isn't playing for the first team, then he's playing for FC Cincinnati 2. And there's a good, great opportunity to go see him play. Um, but he is a young guy that they're very excited about. And, again, he's a, you know, what, he turns 16 tomorrow. So uh, he's not even – not even driving yet. When he when he gets back from D.C., he'll have to go uh, take his driver's test, I guess, and, and see if he can't get his license next week. But, um, yeah, it's kind of funny when you see him getting dropped off outside the facility, you know, before training or, or, or trips or whatever, getting picked up because he doesn't, you know, he can't drive yet, right? Uh, yeah, has to get a driver's I, license. That's how I'm young he is. I'm curious, Tommy, a guy like him, um, you know, two things come to mind. You just mentioned, you know, he's not driving yet. He's been taking his driver's lessons like any 15-year-old who's about to turn right. 16. So he's been doing that. What does a young man like that do for school? Because he's from Maryland. Do they move to Cincinnati and then they put him into school? How does that work? Yeah, I think he's in uh, – I think he does some classes here. And, uh, you know, that, that part I'm not exactly sure about. Okay. But the okay. – the team works with – they have somebody who is uh, directly um, connecting all those dots to make sure all the educational pieces are taken care of. And, and it certainly is not being ignored um, no, or no, no, no. dismissed. No you know, no, we're not no, talking no about high chance. school dropouts here. But, uh, right. no, they definitely uh, connect all those dots to make sure that that part is, is being connected. All right. Tommy, I know you're uh, hitting the road. What time are you guys uh, heading to D.C.? Uh, we'll be wheels up about 2 o'clock. So uh, the team should be walking out here for training here any minute. I don't uh, looks like the goalies are out. So uh, that's the first sign of training starting when the goalies get out there um, and, and get their early work in. And the team should be out in the next uh, 10 or 15 minutes. The training will wrap up about noon and uh, in the air at 2 o'clock. And a nice night in the nation's capital. I always love visiting D.C. And off yep. we go at 7.30. Omar and I will have a call. Looking forward to it. All right, buddy. Uh, thanks so much, as always, Tommy, for your time. Safe yeah, travels. Godspeed ahead, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Always a pleasure. Okay, man. Tommy G, kind enough to join us. I mean, you know, he, he, he made reference to it, and Casey and I were talking about this very early this morning. Um, think about this for a second. Joe Nuxall, that's who Tommy was referring to, uh, was 15 years old. Now, World War II was going on, so there were a lot of players, right, whether it was the Jerry Coleman's or the Ted Williams and, and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of others who were uh, at war, serving in the military um, for the United States. And that's why Joe Nuxall got a chance at 15 years young to make his major league debut with the Cincinnati Reds. But think about this a second, right? 15-year-old Joe Nuxall, Cincinnati. 15-year-old Stephen Jimenez, who's from Maryland, as I mentioned, but makes his professional MLS debut as a 15-year-old in Cincinnati. Now, you're a gambling man. What do you think the odds of that are? Not only 15-year-olds reaching the pinnacle, or in soccer, darn near, certainly in America, the pinnacle of their sport, right? Yeah. Two 15-year-olds reaching that level. So you start with the odds of that. Not just one, and now we're going to add in a second. 
but that both of them will do that in Cincinnati, Ohio. If Betfred had a line, what in the hell are you doing, Casey? Are you waiting to go to the bathroom? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm going to just check up on something over there. Whenever, whenever I mean, we come uh, uh, the uh, doctors uh, in the studio. Yeah, I just checking something. The really goblins cool. around here. You guys no. are talking about some story in Middletown where there's aliens or something before we got on the air today. No, that, we were just making fun of conspiracy theories. Oh, I hate. What's conspiracy. wrong with conspiracy? They're great. I, I I'm hate with cons- you, Tom. I hate. They're conspiracy great. They're so much fun. Hey, hey, listen, listen. What is the all-time biggest conspiracy theory in American history? What is it? JFK. You got it. Why is it that here we are, right? 70, 80, 90, 0, 1, 60 years later. How are we sitting here 60 years later? And everything the U.S. government has classified has not been declassified on JFK. Now, you mean to tell me 60 years later, 60 years later, the American people don't deserve the right to know exactly what everybody else knows inside that government. I'm not suggesting there is a conspiracy. But what are they, what, what are they, if you're hiding it and classifying it, what does that normally tell you? They're hiding something, right? Sure. Okay, so why are you so... Are you, well, you're a member of the liberal. No, I, so you're I, in that I'm not talking about industrial complex. I'm not talking about JFK. I'm okay. talking about you hop on there. Anything that happens. I mean, you go on Twitter right now and you see everybody talking about the submarine being a conspiracy as a cover up for other things going on. I'm like, not every big story in the country. You don't have to be some smart dude. Like on Twitter all the time. You don't have to feel like you're better than everybody else because you come up with some conspiracy. Every time some huge story happens, we have to get subjected to, well, this happened really to distract you from this and this and this thing happening. Oh, man. Brutal. Okay. I've just gotten worn out on the conspiracy theory thing. You know, you have one here and there. You have something. I feel like everybody has one conspiracy that you're like set in, that you know everything about. UFOs. That There's you, another one. UFOs. I mean, that's all of a sudden getting a yeah. lot of pub these days. Oh, yeah. Well, right? sure. Tom, do, Tom, do you believe, not to not to go down too far of a rabbit hole, but <laughs> while we're here, huh? while we're here, do you believe aliens exist? Mm-hmm. Do you believe that there is, and I don't mean like some sort of life form, but I'm saying, do you believe some sort of intelligent life is out there I, somewhere? I think there has been too much that has come out in recent memory. There has been too much that has come out just recently over the last couple of years that is starting to make one believe there's a chance of that being possible. You agree or disagree? What are they covering up? Again, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. But, I mean, just in about the last, right, two or three years, there's a lot going on here on this topic. I think it's almost foolish to believe we're the only intelligent life on the world at this point. Or not in the world, in the universe at this point. Or another universe. Right, yeah, anywhere. I think, uh, I think it was uh, President Obama. He came out and said that he knows stuff about Area 51 that he's not allowed to say. So I think he did I say that. that. You're right. So I think, I, I think there is something going on over there. I think your mic's unplugged. Remember when they tried to protest? Hey, 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 Elliot, your mic's unplugged. Mic's unplugged. I'll filibuster here for a second. Oh, you know, you know what that was? That was Casey? No, 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 that wasn't Casey. That was a bricked shot yesterday. Remember? Right. <laughs> On the basketball. What about now? Yeah, what about there now? We go. There, there he is. is. <laughs> the zebra. 
no, but yeah, the there was a there was a protest scheduled for uh, Area 51. There was a bunch of people that were gonna just gonna camp out there until uh, they they over. I guess they were gonna overthrow the government and try to see the aliens, but unfortunately, to no avail. The government won that battle. Drew Garrison says big tech is trying to silence Elliot. I think it's Casey. Casey is trying to silence. <laughs> Casey me. is big tech. He really is. He really is. <laughs> I mean, he is banned. They, I mean, uh, Mouse Cop points it out. Uh, Casey is the king of censorship on this program. Well, that's true. I mean, when they mention the greats like Stalin and Mussolini. <laughs> the greats? The greats? Casey. I think you meant to rephrase that a little bit differently because I know what kind of heart you have. You mean as far as some of the worst offenders of censorship. Correct. Stalin, Mussolini, Hitler. Go ahead. Correct. Okay. They also mentioned my name. (laughs) Someone cut his mic. (laughs) Casey, you better better stop. You better stop. Um, How about those red legs? You know what? That's where I was getting ready to go. I mean... uh, You know, now you were telling me, uh, Jacob, and I mean, I think all you guys, um, I heard yesterday where the Reds uh, had made the point uh, last night, I think it was, that there are only single tickets available for tonight. And standing room. So, but, right, but meaning single tickets, meaning you can't, you know, say you and your buddy or you and your wife or you and your girlfriend, whatever, you can't go and sit next to each other right. because there aren't two seats together available. So on what is today? Friday on Wednesday today would be Friday. Yeah. yeah. Today's Friday on Wednesday night. I bought Lizzie and I two seats for $16 and there were plenty of them left. I just went filtered out the cheapest seats, bought two seats for $16. I think with fees and everything, it was like 47 bucks. For two, for both. The, the, the seats were, oh, so you're saying 14 each, 16 each for the seats, so 32. 16 each, and then. paid an additional late fee. Yeah, so it was okay, like, came, right, out, came out that each seat right. was about $23. That was on Wednesday night, and there were, I mean, there were plenty left. And then yesterday, you wake up on Thursday, and you go through the day. There's no, I thought everybody was kidding on Twitter. And now you go on, a, I just checked StubHub, Ticketmaster, TickPick, Ticket, every, SeatGeek, everything. It's $78, $85 just to sit in a seat. That's not even standing room. Stand, I mean, standing room is like 50 but that's even before fees. It's crazy. It's crazy what these prices are for this weekend. That is unbelievable. unbelievable. Would you pay it, Elliot? I mean, if all of a sudden, you know, I mean, you have the chance, so it's not like it's impossible. I mean, are you guys, somebody, uh, Drew Garrison points out, says bleacher seats are up to 110 bucks. For one seat. I don't, I, yeah, I would. I, well, I think a lot of it's because of the concert, too. But I, I do think, um, yeah, I, I would pay it right now. For 12 in a row, Tom, 12 games in a row. I was actually having this debate yesterday. How much would you pay for a Reds World Series ticket? If the Reds were in the World Series at GABP, how much, how much would you guys pay for a Reds World Series ticket? And I think my number got to 1000 I don't. I know. would pay a thousand dollars to watch the Reds in a World Series game. I don't know that there is a number. Not a number. I don't know that there's a number in Great America. Well, Sanex has un- unlimited money, so there's no. There's number. no doubt. Well, if we went <laughs> in an elder operation <laughs> yeah, over yeah, here, yeah, this yeah. is Sanex now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> if this win streak gets up to twelve or thirteen, I'll have the World Series money right there. Okay. <laughs> All right, Paul. You uh, you buying a Reds World Series ticket for a thousand? No. 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 I wouldn't. 
Are you buying a Xavier Championship game ticket for a thousand? Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'd be working. Hopefully I'd be working. Hopefully I'd be working. If you're not, if you're not working. Yes, I would pay that. Okay. Yeah. I think I think Xavier's probably the only team that would be a money doesn't money doesn't matter. Get me in. Yeah. Everybody has that one. That's probably my. That would probably be my only team where I would do that. You know, let's go around the horn on that. I have a question, which prompts uh, a thought here. I'm, uh, I'm thinking about this. Okay, all right. I'm going to leave FC Cincinnati out just because you know they're kind of young. I'm going to use the two two primary. No, we'll use the four primary. Okay, let's say the Bengals, the Reds, UC in football or basketball, sure, and Xavier. Any of those four, Casey, I'll start with you. Any of those four, okay, or all of those four, reach the title game in whatever sport it is. Okay, now we know in three of them it would be only one game, basketball and football, right? Okay, but let's say the Reds, let's call it a game seven of the World Series, okay? Oh, game seven, I'd pay $1,000. Wait, let me, hang on. (laughs) If you had... If the if the if the ticket price was five thousand dollars, and because well, let's be honest about it here now, well, you're talking about a football, college football playoff title game, Final Four title game in basketball, okay, Super Bowl we know, World Series game at GABP, okay, you're not going to get in the door for under five, no chance, zero, okay. If you had to spend 5000 on any of those, which one would it be? Well, I would clearly spend my money on the Bengals. I mean, I'm a diehard Bengals fan. But for the MLS stuff, I don't think it would be that much. I think you could, you could probably get in the door at like 1000 And that might be something that I would do. Okay. All right. That's fair. Speaking. That's fair. I don't Paul? even know if you can buy a Super Bowl ticket for 5000 No, but I'm just saying if you could. Just yeah. to get in the building. You might be in the very top row of SoFi Stadium. Yeah, the the answer is college basketball for me, without a doubt. But, you know, there is one small part in the back of my head that says if you're at, like, Energy Stadium in Houston and you're in the top row and you legitimately can't even see the floor, I'm not saying I would still do it, but it'd give me some pause. I mean, the Final Four in basketball, if you're sitting at the top, that is a brutal view. It's brutal. I went. I mean, it is really bad. Uh, when time. I go, I went in 2017. Not name dropping here, but Charles Barkley got us tickets to the to the Final Four, and we had good seats. They weren't great, but they were good. And it was in Phoenix. And I mean, I, I just don't. It's all about money. We know the answer to this, but I, I I've just always felt that the NCAA is making a mistake by putting these Final Four games in these football stadiums. It's just too big. I mean, you're spot on. I'm looking around at, well, now it's a University of Phoenix or State Farm State, whatever it is out in Arizona now, whatever the name on it. And I'm just looking around. I'm thinking to myself, you, you stick a basketball court inside these football stadiums. I mean, it looks like you, you're, you're backyard on a quarter acre lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'd be a fraud as the college basketball guy in the studio to not give my answer as college basketball, but I would give a lot of thought as to whether I would rather watch that game with a good viewing experience on TV where I could actually see things 
or whether you're probably watching the game on TV at that height anyway, because you're watching like one of those monitors that are next to your seats, yep. you know, or like up there in yep. the rafters. Yep. And then all you're doing is in 30 years saying you were there, which is most of the reason why you're paying for that ticket anyway. So the answer is college basketball, but game seven of the world's, I don't, I wouldn't pay a thousand dollars to go to like game two. No, I'm asking game seven, game seven of the World Series, and the price tag is five grand. World Series game seven at GABP, Super Bowl, wherever they play it, Final Four, wherever they play it, college football playoff, wherever they play. You paying five grand for any of them, and if so, what is it? I would pay five grand for the for the uh, Final Four for sure, and I would consider the Reds game seven. I'd consider Reds game seven, but that'd probably be a lot. It'd okay. have to be a good seat. All right. I would go I would go Reds. It's it's close between the Reds and the Bearcats basketball. Really? Uh, yeah, it is. So you're a big UC hoops guy. I am. I am. I right, do, well, I good. Do. We'll have a little balancing act in the studio <laughs> yes. when basketball yes. comes around this year. But it is funny. I went to the Final Four And game. we actually I, had their coach on the air. I don't mean to interrupt you. I don't mean to point West that Miller. out over and over and over. <laughs> Wes Miller gave you the time, huh? He did. All right. Well, that's good. That's a good man there. That's a leader of men. No, but I think if you if you look at uh, – I think the, the I went to the Duke versus Wisconsin championship game in Indianapolis – I was in the very last row of that stadium. We had TVs right above us in the very last row so because we couldn't see down low. So we were watching the game in the stadium on a little monitor up above our heads. So that would be tough. I would go Reds World Series. There's really not a bad seat in the house at Great American Ballpark. Um, maybe somewhere if you're standing room only. But Oh, there's not a bad seat there. No, no. no. I, I, I would go Reds World Series no, with, without question. Jacob, before you give your answer while you said that, where is the standing room at GABP? Like, yeah, like do they know. have – because I was I was thinking about that because the tickets that we bought for tonight, I always just buy the cheapest and move down. I don't know if we're going to be able to move down tonight. Like, maybe there's pockets here and there that have a couple open. But if we wanted to go to standing room, is, does that mean you go to the Budweiser deck out in right field? Or, like, what does that mean? I think there's a – there's under on, – on the right field line – Right up above, I, th I think it's the Bud. I think it is the Budweiser deck. Yeah, it's, it's right there is where you stand up. Yeah, it's at level. Yes, and I think they have it that goes. I could be wrong on this, but they used to anyway. Where it runs basically around the entire bowl, you're just standing behind the seats. Correct. Right. Correct. Okay. And they've got a bar back there. Yeah, they, that's. But I think you can like. I, I imagine you'd stand up in the uh, right, right right along the rails too. Along the concourse. Yeah. Sorboy points out that in with the power stacks is standing room only as well. You know that, like, okay, where yeah, those yeah, tables yeah. are in there? That's sure. standing room as well. Okay. So Jolly Jolly asks a question, and, 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 and you know, where are the seats for 5000 So we're just saying you get in. So baseball, it's going to be standing room only. You're going to be at the deck, you know, shoulder to shoulder with some dude for nine innings, right? Yep. Okay. Jacob, you, now you've been to national so championship. I've been games. to. I've got you to have see to pay. You Ohio got paid to do State. It. I got to see Ohio State play in a national championship, which would probably be my number one. I've gotten to see the Bengals play in a Super Bowl. I was in SoFi, so that would probably be my number two. But t since I've had those two experiences, Reds World Series is at the top of my list right now. I mean, with the way this team is going and the way that stadium's been, we had thirty thousand people three straight games in a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Like, we've never seen that before. Yep. Like, the, the, the way this city would rally around the banks after a Reds World Series game here, I, I mean, Game 7 of the World Series in Cincinnati would be unbelievable. It would be unbelievable. Um, you know, you go back to 1975, 76, 1990. The Reds have never won 
the World Series, the final game, yeah. uh, on their home turf. Never happened in the history of, uh, obviously, Riverfront and not even close in the brief history 2003 of Great American Ballpark. I tell you, we, we got some guys in the chat that are really demented. Who? About what they could be spending money on for <laughs> $5,000. Five five thousand to me is a lot. It's a lot for anybody. That's no no no. I mean like thinking about spending money on a t- like I think like up to like maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred something like that. But you get to five thousand for a ticket. I mean I, that'd be a tough sell for for me for for anything really. Five thousand is a lot of money. If you get stuck at the very top, I get, like that would five thousand would really depend on. I think a thousand would be my limit to get in the building, and five thousand would be I'd have to have a, a good seat. I'd have to feel like my viewing experience at that stadium is better than if I was sitting on my couch. We were under five thousand for our Super Bowl tickets, and we were in the second bowl of the three bowl stadium. Okay, so they're they're pretty good seats. Sir Boy says I would pay five thousand dollars to be courtside next to Paul at Sintide. Mm. Sir Boy, it ain't happening. Paul is down there with all the highfalutins. <laughs> <laughs> and believe me, you go, and I've announced a number of games here at Centos. Those seats right behind where the broadcast table is, there's some highfalutin Cincinnati cash sitting around there. There is. Big time. There is. Yes. Yes. So, Sir Boy, you can file that. It ain't happening. Unless Paul's got some, you know, inside pull, which he certainly does over there at uh, Centos. It's, uh, you know, I'm surprised. I'm not surprised by Casey. And not so much Paul, because Paul did not grow up here, although you've been here. You started at X what year? 15. Okay. So I've, been I've, been, I've been here almost 10 years okay. full time. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been here a while now. Um, but you two guys, I, I'm, I'm surprised. Now, Jacob, you've already done it. But, but, I mean, the way the town is set up right now hadn't always been this way. I'm surprised we did not hear more just straight up, no doubt about it, Cincinnati Bengals. I think it's because they've never won one. That game's not here. The Red okay. the Reds game being in Cincinnati is what puts a World Series over a Super Bowl for me. Yep. I think I I I think I'm more emotionally attached to the Reds personally. Okay. I've always I've always been that way. Okay. Okay. All right. Ohio man says you can literally buy a grill. And get some of the most expensive steaks that you could possibly eat for five thousand bucks, and you watch it on the tube. Yeah, watch it on that TV. Paul threw up a couple days ago. Yeah, one hundred forty-four inches outside. There you go. I, mean, I can't even believe we put that on. It was real, Tom. It was not real. No, no, we found it. We went back later. We found it. Where is it? it was what it, town? It was from a. It was from some like I don't think you, I don't know if you can buy it, but it, it was, was from, from a like technology some expo. like future tech expo thing. That was a real TV, but I don't know if you can like buy it on the open market yet. Okay, so it was from two years ago though, so maybe they figured out a way to. You know, I got into a whole thing the other day, uh, and and I got to look this up because I, I tell you, I, I really enjoyed the back and forth. It was rare on uh, Twitter that you get you know people who are actually sane that. Uh, that you can go back and forth with. And I got to find this here for a second because he, th- this guy was upset with me. Um, talking about the Reds' attendance. Um, yeah, uh, XOE, Mr. Moe. 
Um, so he said, look, I don't understand um, your whole argument about the Reds not drawing and not being a baseball town. He says, uh, 75 and 76, they finished number one and number two, back-to-back years in total attendance. And I made the comment. I said, look, neither one of those years did they draw over 2.7 million fans. I said, now I'll give you those two years if you want to say they were number one and number two. But the bottom line is they never hit 3 million fans in a stadium that was over 55,000, 58,000 if you had standing room. Okay? And then I went back and I, I, I looked up a graphic and I posted them on Twitter of the Reds and their attendance going back to the last time they won a playoff series in 1995. Now, they had a little bump in 96-97 where they finished, I think, like 6th out of 14. Or at that time, no, you had expansion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were at 14 teams. Arizona and the Marlins uh, weren't around yet. But, um, or Tampa Bay. Uh, so, um, the two years after the playoff series, they finished roughly a little better than half in the National League. Since then, they have not had a season since 1997. They've not had a season where they finished better than half in total attendance in the league. And since moving into Great American Ballpark in 2003, all but one year since 03, they have not finished better than 10th in total attendance out of 15 teams in the National League. Now, could the argument be made that they've had crummy teams? Absolutely. There is no doubt about it. And I think we're getting a look at this weekend with Bob Castellini, whether you like him or don't, has always said, if you have a winning product on the field, right, fans are going to show up. Yep. But, you know, then you get the chicken or the egg. If you start showing up, we'll spend more money on the team and payroll. This weekend, you've got a music act after the game tonight. I don't know how much of an effect at the end of the day. It probably had a huge effect initially. Because people who bought the tickets want to go to the concert and throw in a ball game. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a great series coming in town for the weekend. So, I think they would have sold the tickets anyway, right? You're seeing almost the same exact tickets on Friday and Saturday. Right. So, that, that confirms that. And Saturday was a giveaway, big bobblehead thing, right? Hunter Green jersey. So, oh, so Hunter Green jersey. Okay. Big time giveaway. Right. So, big giveaway. Yep. But the point is, is like I was going back and forth with our guest who's coming up a little bit later on, Dave O'Brien. Now, he won some big award in every year down at Salisbury, North Carolina, where my dad actually started his broadcast career. We used to live there when I was a little, little kid. Um, is the home of the National Association of Broadcasters um, and Sports Writers. And they have this enormous three-day celebration uh, down there every summer. And it's this weekend. So, like, they give a broadcaster, National Broadcaster of the Year. It could be Al Michaels. could be Jim Nance. could be Joe Buck. could be anybody. And then each state has a national broadcaster or Ohio or state broadcaster of the year, state writer of the year, right? So our guest today, Dave O'Brien, must have won, I'm guessing, um, the best sports writer in Georgia because he is not coming to Cincinnati for this series. He's flying to Salisbury and trying to get in there, and he's going to be getting off a plane to join us. And he said, you know, it's funny. He said, when I debated about whether to go to North Carolina for this weekend and take the weekend off, he said, I had to make that decision about three, four months ago. 
He said, and I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding? Reds in the Braves. Right? Coming off a series against Philadelphia, wherever it is, or whoever it is they play next, he's thinking, ah, I'm not worried about it. Nothing to that series. And he wrote back when we were going back and forth on email yesterday. He says, I can't believe now I'm going to miss this series because this is a big deal. Two hottest teams in the league. Braves have won eight in a row. Reds have won 11 in a row. Uh, So we're going to talk about that basically for the rest of the show. And I want to ask Paul a little bit about his guy, Colby Jones, as well in the NBA draft. So Ham and Eggers, take it away. We got lots to talk about today. Red Legs v. Braves tonight at GABP. Ham and Eggers, Mr. President! Mr. President! (laughs) Take it away! It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Why am I reading in the... What, what is going on in the chat right now? I'm not entirely Why are we sure. talking about Kay Adams and Margot Robbie and all these people? What's going on in here? Now That's we're on the young G. Well, I believe, I believe Drew brought up Kay Adams. Oh. And then some of the members of the chat um, admired Kay Adams' work. And they all, then they started going into the work of one Margot Robbie and others. Okay. I believe that's what occurred here. Well, the Bengals report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. That's right, Casey. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. There's also our new premium alkaline water. At some point, we got to stop saying that it's new because it's not new anymore. I guess it's... It's fresh. It's fresh. It's the hottest thing. It's a fresh premium alkaline water. Tastes fantastic. It really does. It's great for... If you've been drinking a lot, you know, if you go out, as Tom says, you get tanked up at the Reds game tonight, maybe tomorrow, get some Pawnee water. I, I have gotten in the habit of doing that. You have a little too much to drink, you have that bottle of Pawnee water. It's made right here in Hamilton. It uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. You can visit their website at pawneywater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy it. Drink Pawnee Water, get your coffee from UDF, bet with Betfred, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. Other thing, shout out, July 17th, the Reds game. Be there. We will be there. Chatterbox night at the Reds, July 17th. More details to come on tickets. And also, fellas, get your orders in. Jolly Jolly is sending lunch for us from Jolly's right here in Hamilton. Oh, what a guy. Jolly Jolly is taking care of our lunch today. Or his dad, maybe. Because Jolly Jolly doesn't live anywhere near him. Well, we appreciate Mr. Jolly Jolly or Jolly Jolly, whoever it is. We love the Jollies. We love the Jollies. We love the Jollies. It is fantastic. It's good stuff. Reed took us there when we were, uh, when Casey and I had just started and we haven't been to Hamilton too much. I broadcasted for the Hamilton Joes back in 2016, but I haven't spent a ton of time in Hamilton before working here. So the Reed Hamilton t- what? Hamilton Joes. The Joes? Come on, don't act like you don't know about the Hamilton Joes. Are you serious? What are those? How do you? What sport is that? It's a college summer team after, named after Joe Nuxhall. The Hamilton Joes? Show some respect. This is disgusting. I right? don't know who they are. What is that? It's a baseball team. You ever national heard of, brand. Do you it's know the, so it's like, Do you know the Cape Cod League? Yeah. Okay. So there's 
summer leagues all over the place, yeah. all over the country. It's just it's a Great Lakes league. Oh, and okay. they're part of the league. Okay, they play they play right down the road. Did they get a big crowd? Hundred. Okay. Hundred fifty, two hundred, three hundred. Okay. I don't know. Well, it's good to know. I didn't know. It's, I, I'm still you know learning about the Hamilton culture. Yeah. Hamilton Joe's. Hamilton Joe's. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. Oh no, that was all I had to say. Do you have anything else to say? Congratulations on your wedding. Oh hey, thanks. Thank oh you. yeah, 364 days. Thanks. Big time. Big thanks. 364. We got to get a counter. Thanks. There, there doesn't you know, need to be a like a like a like a news channel counter like yeah. the bottom a- right. Every ham and egger segment, there needs to be a lower third. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one opportunity we missed with mine. We're not going to do that with yours. Yeah. So I'm going to get a counter for get here. A counter, it throw ahead. it up there during the segment. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. 364 everyone. 364. All Sorry. right, so who is uh who's going tonight? Paul's going tonight. You're going. Yep. Okay. You and your bride to be. Wait, yeah, that's exactly right. Are either of you going tonight? I'm not. I will be there Saturday and Sunday, not tonight. Jacob, how many games are you going to get to this year? You going to are you going to touch I, 40? Well, no, cuz I leave at the beginning of August. So oh, I only get that's right. I only get the summer months, that's but right. uh, Saturday will be my 15th game of this season so far. So uh, we're pushing you, you, for 20. Wow. We're you pushing for 20. Me. I'm at like 8 or 9. Sir Boy would know. I've been to a lot of games with him. <laughs> but other than that, uh, I mean, I was leading the office. Now, now I'm getting smoked. Getting smoked, Jacob. But I really wanted to go to more games. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to just because of the price. And I know we already talked about it, but. You'll be good to get into some weeknight games. This is a big weekend with a really good team. We're riding high. We're playing yeah. a big-name team with big-name guys. The ticket prices will come back down. Yeah, Reds lose a couple games, and they play like the, I don't know, Giants on a Wednesday on a Tuesday night. Yeah, Giants on July 17th, Casey's $13. We'll see you there. Well, those those could go up, though. I mean, they As could. goes by. They could. Well, the next two weekends, this weekend and then again, the team leaves and goes to Baltimore um, just for a three-game road trip after this series against Atlanta. And then they come back home against San Diego, right? Padres, all the money they spent, all the big stars, blah, 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 blah. Um, Not playing very well, but they're the San Diego Padres. But that's not the big story. The big story is... Um, Taylor Swift is in town. So the Reds have changed their game next weekend, right? on. She's there Friday night, two shows. Friday night, Saturday night. Right. Correct? Correct. They changed the Friday night game time from 7.10 to 5.10. Okay. That's a good move. It's good everybody can work together. It's a good move. I mean, there's going to be – it's going to be crazy down there. Oh, it's the whole town. If, if I remember correctly, you going to Taylor Swift. I'm going Friday, so I, I'm going Friday, and then I'm waking up early on not early, but I'm waking up Saturday and driving to New Jersey Saturday. So it's going to be a long, long weekend for uh, your boy. But yeah, it's uh, Friday night. The plan was to get down to the stadium at like or down to you know the banks or whatever, like maybe five thirty, six o'clock. But now they moved the Reds game up to five. I don't know if that makes it better. I, I don't I don't know what I don't know what to think I don't really know I, usually I'm pretty good with handling how to get down there and park like I never have issues I've been down there so much for events like I know how to handle things pretty well down around the city I don't really know what how to handle this one. I think you got to go real early 
or like right before the concert. So I think the those concert, are your two the options. Concert, she comes on the stage at eight. So you're either getting there at like seven thirty or like four thirty, I think. Like down to the banks, I mean. Is that with the Reds playing? If I remember correctly, FC Cincinnati has a game that weekend as well. Saturday. Okay. Okay. So that but the Reds play Friday. at one on Saturday. So, but okay. that doesn't. I'll be fine on that next one. Saturday. They're playing at one. Well, Friday night with the five o'clock Reds yeah. game. Right. It's going to be a mess down there. It's going to be a disaster. Reds win this series. Reds win the Orioles series. It'll be a disaster next Friday. And if the weather's good, and the weather is looking good right now, I think mid eighties. Be a little warmer. Because the thing about the, uh, the the thing about my wife and I were talking about this yesterday. We're out walking the dogs. Uh, is that there? Her her sister is coming in with two daughters from California to visit for the weekend. There are going to be so many people that are here that don't even have a ticket to the concert Friday or Saturday night. And my understanding is is you know they're talking about there could be more people just outside the stadium, right, listening. Can't see, you know, Taylor Swift up on the stage from anywhere outside the stadium. But there are going to be more people outside the stadium than maybe even inside the stadium. That's been the case at almost every open-air show she's had so far. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, that is just absolutely mind-boggling. Disaster on what I was going to wear to the Taylor Swift concert, too. Made a fun shirt. It's not going to get here in time. Oh, I know. It was real. It was funny, too. Might have to put it in put in a word at headlines or something. Get some help. It was very funny. Play on play on my joke of me missing out on the tickets. Had to cancel the order. It was like an extra forty five dollars or something to get it here on time. I said, ah, don't know about that. Maybe I just throw a white t shirt on and write something on it. I don't know. That's a Lizzie. Write thing. something on it. I don't know. That's a Lizzie. Oh, thing. Well, we got we got headlines right out of here well, right outside the door. They could whip up something for you. In no time at all. Yeah, we'll see. Didn't didn't want to. Didn't want to abuse any power. Not like Elliot and Casey. That's exactly right. Casey's been wielding his power left and right. I can't even block Casey from the chat. Why not, Casey? Why can I not ban you from the chat? Because I am the original moderator. (laughs) You are the alpha, you are the omega. I am the alpha and omega. I am everywhere. And I see all things. But... (laughs) All right. Just to, just to go off of um, what you were saying with the um, Taylor Swift uh, Taylor Swift concert and whatnot, be safe. Be safe? Be safe. It's going to be crazy. Oh, yeah. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be a disaster down there. I'll tell you what. It's going to be a disaster. Tom, I'll see you there. You know what? I wish I was able to go. Uh, it, it's been asked in the chat that um, if I'm a – Closet Swifty. I'm not a closet Swifty. I, I, I'm out of the closet Swifty. I think she's great. I told the story years ago when our daughter was much younger, you know, teenager, whatever she was at the time, 12, 13, 14, and we bought tickets to go see her up in um, Columbus uh, where the Blue Jackets play. And it was absolutely fantastic. I said to our son at the time, who maybe was only 11 or 12 or whatever he was, year or two younger than our daughter. Uh, but my wife and I, and we took our daughter and son and two of her friends bought tickets and we all went up there together, spent the night in Columbus after the show. And, um, you know, my son's kind of rolling his eyes like, what are we doing? Going to the show. I'm like, why not? I mean, it's up, what else are we going to do? 
sit at home, watch TV, what? Some sporting event? And it was absolutely fantastic. She is an incredible entertainer. Her music is great. She, it's a clean show, meaning you could take uh, an 85-year-old grandmother if you wanted to. She wouldn't be offended by anything or put off by language or, 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 or the, the lyrics or any of the other stuff. Same thing all the way down to a five-year-old little girl. I mean, it's that kind of a show. It is a family-friendly show, but it's also an extraordinarily um, um, fun show. I mean, she's great, and she's all into it. And so, uh, look, um, I got no problems with Taylor Swift at all. In fact, I, I like her very much. Yeah. You've never seen her, Paul. I've not. No, yeah. So I, I don't. I didn't really know anything about it. So Lizzie, my fiance, was telling me about. I don't know. I, I guess wearing an outfit is like a big deal to this. I, I don't. I don't know. I didn't know. But I'm, I'm willing to lean into it. I like the music. I'm kind of like you, Tom. I like the music. I think it's fun. The Reds. It'll be a, it'll be a great atmosphere. It's kind of like what we were talking about when there's Oktoberfest and there's football and baseball and everything going on in the city. These are those summer weekends that make the city really fun when there's a lot going on all at the same time. And you can manage to get down there and enjoy it. Sometimes you get down there and it's what I think it's going to be next weekend. It was just a total disaster. But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, but let's talk about this series a little bit. So, we, uh, in the uh, monologue, uh, we talked about the kid pitching tonight. And, and, and these are stories that I just find so interesting. Uh, if you weren't with us in the monologue, kid pitching tonight, um, seventh-round draft pick, okay? So, you know, he, th in this day and age, that's down the chain. Uh, earlier in the week, you know, we had um, – who was with us earlier? In the, uh, Keith Hernandez. And we're talking about he was a 42nd-round draft pick, right? Like the 900-and-something player draft. That's the way they used to do it in baseball for years. They had like 60-something rounds of a baseball draft. 12, 1,300 players. It's not like that anymore. Um, but this kid's in the seventh round, high school kid, uh, out of Colleyville, Texas, right outside of Fort Worth. Um, and he goes to rookie ball. So when you get drafted, you finish your high school year, right, right around that same time, shortly thereafter, is the MLB draft. Um, and so by the time you sign, whether you're college or high school, by the time you sign, you're not going uh, to play and or pitch more than a month and a half tops because all those rookie ball and single A, low A seasons don't last through September and this kind of thing. Um, so, um, so that's what this kid does in 2021. He pitches in rookie ball for a little bit. They move him to high A, season over. Then they, the following year, right, which was la uh, last year, he goes two levels of baseball. Now, this year he's gone single A, double A, triple A, big leagues. So we hear all the time about, you know, Russian guys. Uh, you don't want to rush guys. You worry about them mentally. Uh, they're going to be able to handle failure. This kid's numbers this year, and look, we're only talking less than 10, 12 starts total at four different levels this year. But his numbers are through the roof, right? I mean, 
for this guy to be pitching in a game like this tonight, and he might get lit up and knocked out of the game in a second inning. It's only his third major league start, his fourth major league game. But this in a microcosm is really what the Braves have become all about, right? And they used to be this way for a long time when it was all homegrown players, and they had that whole flock that took them to 13 straight um, divisional championships and trips to the playoffs. Now they've kind of come full circle, and they're doing it all again. They are the model franchise, in my opinion. Some say uh, Tampa Bay, and they've done a great job. But Tampa Bay has not won the World Series. Atlanta has won the World Series by doing it this way. You agree with that? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the I think it's the new I think it's the new model. I, I think the the way they sign their their talent early and they get on board early is how teams should. And the Reds and the Reds have done it with Hunter Green. I think they're going to do it this off season. I think they're going to do it with Lodolo. I think they're going to probably do it with Ellie. So I, I think it's the way to go now. I'm I'm more I'm more concerned with Luke Weaver. By the way, the Dream Weaver, real quick. Dream Weaver has given up 18 earned runs. I'm, I'm being told. <laughs> I am being told. Is this urgent? Is this urgent over there? Finish your thought. Okay. Well now, well, now I have to check it. Hold on. We're going to check. Uh, <laughs> no. Just text them no. I don't know what they're saying. Just say no. I think it's lunch. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I don't know what I was going to say. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, so Luke Weaver has given up 18 earned runs in about 18 innings of work the last four games. He's been horrible. Luke Weaver has been horrible the last four games. However, however, they have won each of those four games. The Reds' offense has scored, I think, like 20 runs in those four games. So if the Reds go out tonight, and again, like Tom said, the guy pitching tonight has been, has been very good, is capable of being very, very good. I think the Reds win this series. That is, that, is, that is my thoughts. Jacob. Luke Weaver hasn't gotten a decision one way Dream, or the other no. since May 9th. Dream Weaver. Did you see this stat, Tom? Ian Jabot, our, our reliever, Ian Jabot, nobody likes him here. He is second in the NL and wins. Yeah. Second. Unbelievable. Yeah. He's a reliever. He has eight. Eight well, he, wins. You know, they, I mean, they, they even talk about on the radio broadcast now with, with, with Tommy Thrall and Jeff Brantley, um, and, and there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek here, but – they even bring up that, hey, this guy's coming to the game. He might give up runs, but we're going to score runs, which means he's going to win the game. Yeah. It's like the good luck charm. That's Why is everybody so down on Jabot? Because he, he has one of the biggest splits from low leverage to high leverage situations in ERA in the entire league. When it's not cutting time, he is going to give his up. Numbers, his numbers are fine because he comes in and he gets six outs when we're up six runs. Right. And he comes in in any two or three run game and he allows four runs. And then we come back and win and he gets the win. <laughs> the bottom line is is are you winning that's all that matters and they know all about winning um in atlanta uh and it's amazing what they've done and we were talking about the guy who's kind enough to join us uh I i'm assuming dave o'brien from the athletic you have landed safely in uh in atlanta before you make your way to north carolina is that right that is correct how you doing man I'm doing all right. How you been doing? I'm doing fine. They've been an exciting team to cover this year. You always like that. Different stories, new guys. You always like that. All right, before we get to the Braves in this weekend series, now um, I was talking about uh, Salisbury, North Carolina. That's actually where my dad got his start, believe it or not, in broadcasting after he got out of the University of North <laughs> Carolina. And we lived they there, moved, my they mom. Moved and, 
sister and I. I love it. Yeah, and he just recently uh, uh, bought a house back there, uh, and, and he spends a lot of time there. Uh, are, are you just going back to be part of the ceremony? Did you win some kind of award in this thing? It's a big deal. Yeah, they actually moved to Winston-Salem a few years ago, so it's in Winston-Salem now, so you can just okay. fly into Greensboro. But, yeah, I was the Georgia Sports Writer of the Year, uh, so I'm going to go up and get the uh, – I'm going to go to the banquet on Monday. I don't think I'm going to do the whole weekend thing. Okay. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. You're welcome. Um, okay. So let's start for a second with the Braves. There was a big story written today uh, here in Cincinnati uh, about how everybody, you look around baseball and the Braves have become the model franchise. Does that mean you're going to win the World Series every year? No. Uh, but for a number of different reasons, they have become the quote-unquote gold standard. Would you agree with that? And if so, why? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to go against the Dodgers and even the Astros. You know, they won the World Series too. But, yeah, I would say so because of, uh, because of like I said, how they've done it, whereas the Dodgers have had some huge payrolls, but there's – there's no question the Dodgers have, a, have always had a great minor league system too, though, so you can't fault them because they have both the money and a minor league system. And so they've had great, always had great Latin American operations and all that. The Dodgers are really a well-run operation. Uh, but the Braves have managed to do it with uh, kind of middle-of-the-road payrolls, and they were actually below the middle uh, until a few years ago, and they've they've increased revenue so much moving into the battery in 2017 that now they're in the top – Ten, uh, the top third and moving into the top, uh, you know, they're going to move even higher in, in, into the, in, to a top 10% before much longer, probably, as far as payroll is concerned. I mean, they got the largest payroll they've ever had, but you're still only talking about $200 million or so compared to, you know, <laughs> the Mets have got, what, 350 or something? But right. so, they've, so they've done it by using all uh, facets of team building. Uh, but but not building their teams on free agency on buying the bit the most expensive free agents and that's how they've maintained a payroll reasonable payroll by not going out and getting those guys and also not re-signing their own guys if it comes to that that's why they've tried to and been successful re-signing almost all their young stars because so they can get them well before they ever get to free agency or even close and they get them at these cut rates because of it they get they they trade security these guys are getting great security in exchange for leaving a lot of money on the table on on the uh for the for the second half of those contracts um but as a result you know the braves didn't resign freddie freeman because it was out of their range and out of how far alex was willing to commit years wise and they stood their ground with dansby swanson you know when all those shortstop market just blew up this year and you could argue that none of those shortstop contracts are probably going to end up being good contracts in the fifth sixth seventh year of the deals and Alex Anthopoulos is, if nothing, if not diligent about being uh, restrained and looking at this thing, not just for now, but for five years from now, as he says, I don't know if I'll be here or not, but if I want this team to be successful five years from now. So that's the way they've gone about, you know, and, and doing it. And it's really working. And he's built the other thing I, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't mention is how much he's he's placed the emphasis that he's placed on team chemistry. And I know it's a cliche in a lot of places, but it is the number one priority here. Obviously the guys have to be talent, talented, but he does extreme amounts of vetting and they do not want to bring guys into this clubhouse 
that are going to rough ruffle feathers, cause waves. They can bring in a guy with some rough edges at this point because the chemistry is so good that that guy will blend into the mix. But they won't bring in a guy who's a known clubhouse lawyer who's going to turn things around if things go bad and, and start uh, pointing fingers or talking behind people's backs. So the result is they never have long losing streaks. If you look, they never have more than like a four-game losing streak. They don't have these eight-game streaks like a lot of people do. And um, it's, it's, it's allowed them in each of the last two years to start slow and then win the division in the end. They were 10 and a half behind the Mets at the end of June in, uh, in uh, or at the end of May, I'm sorry, going into June last year. 10 and a half behind the Mets caught them in the last weekend of the season. Uh, this year, they've gotten out to a great start, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But now they're, you know, 22 games over 500. And, uh, but the Marlins and the Phillies are right there. You know, they're, they're, they're not being shaken out uh, by, by the Braves' great start either. So, But I don't know. That's a long-winded answer. Well, no, um, but I mean, you know, you, you, though, 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 Dave, you get into a couple of things that I think here in Cincinnati, you know, Reds fans like to draw a parallel. They're nowhere close to what the Braves have done in terms of wins and losses in a World Series, et cetera, et cetera. But now with the Reds, you have this whole fleet of young players. Will Ali De La Cruz ever be yeah. Acuna Jr.? Nobody knows. Will, um, will Matt McClain be Ozzie Albies? They're different players, different kinds of players. But you know what I'm getting at here. Is, is yeah. there something, is, is there sort of a, uh, a common thread or trait um, that the Braves look for when deciding about signing one of these young players to a long-term deal? The Reds yeah. did it recently with Hunter Green. He is the only one they've done it for. McLean's only been in the big leagues for a month and a half. De La Cruz for a couple of weeks. Um, is there some sort of common trait or thread for them to say, besides talent, but is there something right. about them where they say, this is worth taking the chance here at a very young age? Yeah, the, um, the personalities are so important. It kind of goes back to what I was saying. Um, they want personable good guys that are going to be good in the community that are not going to have a kind of us against them mentality with the media, just guys that are good guys. And, you know, the guy like Charlie Morton, for instance, they brought him in as a free agent. They've re-signed him a couple of times to $20 million deals that kind of the fans don't understand because they look at him 39 years old. He's like, yeah, he's still good, but 20 million, we could have gone out and got another. No, they don't want to go out and get another guy. They love Charlie Morton and the effect, the uh, influence he has on these young pitchers and he's willing to share everything he's ever learned. He's eager to share it. So that's the kind of veteran they like to have mixed into this bunch. Um, I would say the only mistake, if it would it would be uh, performance-wise, that Alex has even given in a long-term deal was be Marcelo Zuna. But he won, you know, he led the league in homers and RBIs in the shortened season. And he had the two off-the-field things uh, in the last two years and was horrible on the field. But... You look at him right now, he's just coming off a great month. And the and the and and the thing is, even at his worst, when all the fans were booing him and that kind of thing, he still was a good guy in the clubhouse. So he still didn't disrupt that chemistry. If he had, if he'd become bitter or angry or just been an a-hole in the clubhouse, they would have got rid of him. But they instead, or they would have ate the money, but instead they were willing to carry him because he was still good in the clubhouse. The guys still like him, waiting for him to come around like he has in the last month and a half. But uh, just that last thing, the way, the, the, the way that they've been able to sign these guys, too, to commit to these $200 million long-term deal, you know, with Austin Riley and the 100-plus for Spencer Strider, and that the way they've been able to do that is when they moved into the battery, 
they created all new kinds of revenue streams that they just didn't have at Turner Field. They own a piece of everything in the battery. They get a piece of everything, the rents, the leases, the apartment rentals, all the revenues off the restaurants and bars over there. They get a piece of everything because they own the battery and they lease everything. And there's some luxury condos going up right now that are going to be million dollar apartment condos called the, the, the Henry for Henry Aaron. Uh, there's a couple of hotels they are building another one right now. Um, so they they're getting tons of revenues off that, which that's become the new model that all the teams are trying to do. You look at St. Louis, what they've done with their ballpark village. They got it finished. Now Anaheim's trying to build one around their stadium, but it's going to be hard to do for most teams because they don't, the Braves moved to this specific plot of land because they had all this space right there that they could do it on. And that was why they moved because the city of Atlanta wasn't helping them build anything around Turner Field, and it wasn't a destination place. People came for the game, left right after the game. There was no tailgating. There were no bars, restaurants around it. And this new place is the antithesis of that. I mean, it is – I mean, for, for fans, during the postseason a couple of years ago, they had to literally close the place down because they reached capacity for the yep. battery. I mean, it was like a quarter of a million people or something in the battery, in the stadium combined. Um. You know, then, then you get to the part about letting fan favorites or big-time guys go. You know, the last time mm -hmm. the Reds really faced that situation, and the Cardinals, strangely enough, faced it the very same year, where the Cardinals are looking at Albert Pujols and they're going, okay, yeah. uh, he's looking for a 10-year, 12-year deal, whatever it is, for, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars back in those days. Reds yeah. had the exact same timing on Joey Votto. Cardinals let Pujols go. Off he goes to Anaheim. Reds re-sign Votto. He's in the final year of this contract now. Um, but but for the Braves, I mean, I, I don't know about Dansby Swanson. You're down there. You know, for me, I've always thought he's a good player. I, to me, he was never like this elite, elite, elite guy. Like No, he had a great Raymond. year last year. Yeah. Won a gold club, but I no, know. he wasn't. Yeah. He was just I mean, a great guy in the community, and he's from here. Right. Fan favorite, good looking guy. All the right. fan, the girls loved him. You know, so it was all that going on too, in addition to being a solid player. And then last year he wins a gold glove. So it was like, but yeah, they were never going to go close to what he was offered by the Cubs. Not even close. But I mean, the decision, and, and, and I'm going to use Freeman as probably the better example or better question. Yeah. I mean, this guy. Great off the field, phenomenal yeah. player, clutch player. I mean, the kind of guy that I still think at the end of the day, uh, he, he would prefer to be in Atlanta. I could be way oh, off base no on that. I don't think there's no any question. doubt about it. What, you know, how did it come to pass that he, really at the end of the day that whether it was his decision, whether it was a Braves decision, whether it was a combination of decisions, how does Freddie Freeman walk out the door? And, I mean, really it's hard to, to, to argue – that they're not okay without him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alex Andopoulos, man, I mean, the guy continues to impress me because I, I think like the Freddie Freeman move, I thought they handled it poorly. I thought Freddie's agent handled it even more poorly than the Braves. It was kind of a perfect storm because it was during the lockout. So the Braves should have signed him like a year earlier to this long-term deal, but they didn't. And they were going to wait and, to, and do it during the final season, during the walk year, which they never did, like with Chipper. Chipper never entered a walk year. He was always re-signed before that. But Chipper left a lot of money on the table, could have gone like, to the Yankees or somewhere else with a lot more money, but wanted to be here that badly. And I think the Braves were kind of counting on they could keep Freddie. And then he had another huge year. So 
they're just negotiating with him and, and not really far down the road yet. And the lockout happens and the Braves I, and most teams were pretty good about uh, obeying the rules of the lockout and not contacting players because they thought it might end up biting them if the players tried to use that as ammo. It's like, no, they were still trying to call and sign me during that. Well, the Braves were even more uh, cross the T's, dot the I's because ever since Alex took over, he has obeyed all free agent rules and all those kind of rules to, I mean, uh, uh, to the letter because of what happened before him with, uh, with uh, the previous general manager getting banned for life and right. the Braves getting slapped with all those penalties for international free agency. So they, Alex has operated like he needs to be beyond reproach and obey all the rules. So he wasn't going to call Freddie's agent during the lockout. So it's kind of sitting there simmering. You hear things, you know, Freddie's, you know, these people are, this guy, this team's interested in Freddie, this team's interested in Freddie. Um, but what it came down to, they were not that far apart. It was basically a year difference. And Freddie's agent, and his agent swears that he did not give the Braves this ultimatum. Braves said they did give him the ultimatum. Freddie ultimately fired his agent, so you can decide that on your own. But the agent gave him an ultimatum and told Alex, Freddie will take this offer or this offer, but it's one of the two, and nothing. It's not as nothing else. And Alex Adopoulos is not the guy to give an ultimatum to, especially when he's got plan B in place. And here we are at the start of spring training when this is happening. This is literally the start of spring training because the lockout ended and boom, spring training started. Well, Alex is not going to ever get caught with his pants down. He's not going to lose Freddie Freeman to free agency and not have a backup option. The only suitable backup on the market at all, the only suitable backup was Matt Olson. Local kid, big power, gold glove caliber first baseman, great in the community, in his peak years, he was the only guy that he could do that. To, so when he gave him that ultimatum, Alex was like, okay, they weren't that far apart. And then Freddie says that he would have never done that. Freddie would have rather have Alex picked up the phone and Freddie should have picked up the phone himself. And the two talked and gone, all right, look, I'll do it. Cause Freddie ultimately, as you said, wants to be here. He wanted to be here. He would have taken what the Braves ultimately offered to stay. I'm sure of that, but they didn't. And when he gave him the ultimatum, Alex said, Boom, calls Oakland, let's do it. They did the deal for Matt Olson. That happened before Freddie, Freddie like heard about the trade from Matt Olson and was like, holy, I'm done. I'm done with the Braves. And that was when he, you know, moved forward with the Dodgers. But that's how it came down. Basically, Alex got the ultimatum. He's like, I'm not going to respond to an ultimatum. I'm going to go to plan B. Let me let me here, here's another thing uh, that that is that is highly uh, it's a hot topic here in town. Before we get to this weekend series, um, th the other one is nobody expected the Reds to be in this position, okay? And nobody to be where they are right, right. now. Now no, look, they've won eleven in a row. They started seven and fifteen. They're playing great. All these young guys, the, the energy, the vibe, the whole nine yards, right? So yeah. they got a lot going on. Uh, they, they've got one of the two or three most highly ranked farm systems in baseball. They've got a bunch yep. of guys that are at single A and double A that they believe are going to be big time prospects. But Dave, you've been covering baseball for a long, long time. Back with the Marlins when they had championship teams, right? And yep. they had all these young guys and now with the Braves for a long, long time. And a lot of people are, are right now in that state of, man, you're, you're leading your division now. Nobody saw this coming. Um, should you make the deal or a deal 
involving a couple of your younger players to bring in somebody who could help you maybe get to an LCS, who knows, uh, this year, or even get to a World Series this year, starting pitcher, you know? Uh, Or do you, quote, unquote, that old adage, like, trust the process, you know, let's keep going. Uh, Have the Braves in the last year to face that exact scenario? And if so, what did they do? Well, Alex has been good about holding on to his top prospects for the first, what, five years he was here, four years he was here. He didn't lose a top, he didn't trade one top 10 prospect. It was amazing. He'd do these deals and I'm like, they still haven't traded a top 10 prospect. Finally, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, they started making deals because they he, he wanted to get a lot better idea of what they had in the system exactly, where they had depth, where they had surpluses. Where they had surplus was uh, catching and starting pitching surplus. So they did make some moves from those kind of guys. And if you look at the guys, though, that they traded, like a Kyle Muller, who was a top 100 for the Braves, he's done nothing with Oakland. But they traded him. They traded the catcher to Oakland, uh, who was a top prospect, a gold glove caliber guy. But they traded him in the in the deal to bring back Murphy. So or that one's to bring back, uh, to get Olsen, rather. And then this year, they trade Contreras, who was an all-star last year in his first full season, all-star as a DH, but he was the, the other catcher with Darno. So Alex goes out and gets, with, with a lot of foresight, I think, looking at the rule changes and all that, knowing how important a defensive catcher was going to be, not only behind the plate, but also handling a staff with the rule changes, the pitch clock, all that. So he went out and got, when they had an all-star catcher last year in Darno, an all-star as the backup catcher, and Contreras, who was a DH, went to the All-Star game as a DH, but he was the backup catcher. But they went at a position where nobody thought that the Braves needed any help. He went out and made the trade for Sean Murphy. Now he looks like gold because they traded Contreras to Milwaukee. They bring in a guy who's another gold glove catcher. They have Darno and Murphy. And already this year, we've had two times where one of those guys has been hurt. And unlike most teams that lose an all-star catcher and have to go to a defensive backup type guy, a, a, a journeyman for 10, 15 games, they have another guy just plug right in there and they don't lose a beat, skip a beat. And they've got this system in place with Sal Fasano, the catching coach, and with Eddie Perez, a former Braves catcher, who's also on the coaching staff, won an all-star game, was Matt Maddox's catcher here. They have the five of them and, the, and an analytics guy with the pitcher and the pitching coach every single day going over game plans, all of them, every one of them. So even when one of those catchers is hurt, he's still in those meetings. So they've got this wisdom and it's like, it's been invaluable with these young pitchers. The guys like you're talking about Smith Shaver coming up tonight, the guy like Schuster, Dylan Dodd, all these guys that could have been in over their skis and been overwhelmed by this, they feel like the, by the time they get out there, sure, they still got to look around and see the three decks, but they've had so much told to them about what to expect and so much trust in these catchers. They don't even have to worry about the pitch selection. Whatever the catcher puts down, they're like, yeah, let's go. So anyway, just to get back to what you're talking about, um, has he traded some prospects? Yes, but not the really, really great ones. Like Acuna was off limits. Austin Riley was off limits entirely. Um who was it? Who else? Soroka was off limits. Uh, he had some that he just was not going to deal regardless. And he got some huge offers for him. He wanted Real Muto when he was on the market. And they wanted Ozzy Albies and Austin Riley and somebody else for him. Or Acuna. That's what they wanted for Real Muto. And 
Some fans would have had him do it because Real Muto was all the rage at the time, best catcher in baseball. And Alex Anthopoulos was like, no, not going to do it. There's no way. And in the end, almost every situation where that he's done like that has worked out great for him. Uh, but like as of like two years ago, when they had this foundation in place and they had a bunch of these guys signed to long-term deals, he was then willing to trade some of these prospects that he had a surplus with. And he did that to bring Olsen over here and replace Freddie. He did that to bring in Murphy this year from Oakland. That's been like, Oakland's been like a feeder system for them. Um, so he's done it a little bit more lately, but he did not do it with the guys like Acuna. And if, if I'm the Reds, I'm not trading any, and they know their prospects better than other people know them. I'm not trading the ones that you absolutely believe can be the guys for the next 10 years. Like Ellie, I mean, obviously you're not trading him. I'd sign that kid, go long-term with him right now like they did Acuna, because you're going to be able to get him you're going to take some risk, but it's not much risk. That kid is Acuna. I mean, he is a superstar. I'd sign him tomorrow. You got to get him signed. And then and then the others are easier to fill in around when you've got a guy like that in place, too. Like the Braves signed uh, Acuna. Ozzy Albies is his best friend. So a week, two weeks later, they signed Acuna to a re, uh, Ozzy Albies to a ridiculously low deal. Ozzy Albies is making like $7 million in the peak of his contract. And Acuna's contract peaks at $17 million. He's going to be one of the best three or four players in the game making $17 million a year when others are making forty. Right. You know, the, 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 the other thing um, that, that I, I was walking um, through the, the, the monologue tonight about the kid pitching tonight. And, again, you've been around baseball forever. I was around baseball forever. And, I mean, I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard – general managers, scouting directors, whatever, player development guys, talk about, ah, oh, we don't want to rush this guy through the system. Ah, oh, we don't want to do that. Uh, the kid tonight's 20 years old. Uh, Not Alex Fitopoulos. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to, to, you know, going back and really reading more about this kid, single A, double A, triple A, big leagues. I mean, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Um, every case is different. But, but, but clearly the Braves, on, on many different uh, levels, which we're, we've talked about already, but now you, you evolve into this other one where, where they're saying, and I don't know if they're getting in conversations, I'm sure it's part of it, with the manager of whatever level the kid is at, the pitching coach yeah. at whatever level the kid is at, whatever it might be, is where they're saying, hey, we're not worried about this guy failing in the big leagues, 20 years old. He's 20 years old. We're getting him to the big leagues. I think it's unbelievable. That was the stuff the Expos used to do that nobody else yeah. did, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's been – it's really been a, a sea change in – it started with Alex Anthopoulos doing it with Soroka when he was 20. He brought him from A. They needed a starter against the Mets in New York, and the Mets were good at the time. And he brought up Soroka from A, and we're like, Really? He's 20 years old, this Canadian kid that we'd all heard about, but we've only seen a couple of times in spring training. Brings him up because he was told by the scouting people, his manager, that he was ready, that he was ready and wouldn't be overwhelmed. So he brings him up to start at City Field, and he pitched, pitched great. And if it wasn't for a shoulder thing, he would have had a great rookie year. But they shut him down as a precautionary thing, and then we said it's history. But it continued. It continued with Michael Harris – and Spencer Strider. Spencer Strider started the year out in low A two years ago. They promoted him four times within one year, which was unheard of. He went 
low A, high A, double A, triple A, made his big league debut in the last weekend of the season. They put him in as a, in a couple of relief appearances to see whether he might be able to help him in the postseason. Get the start of the year in A ball and was promoted four times. Then it continued with Michael Harris. They had injury situation in center field. They weren't getting any production a year ago in April and May. They weren't getting any production in center field, and they had some guys banged up. And uh, 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 the, the left fielder, the former Red, former Red. That, oh, uh, uh, yeah, you're t- uh, Adam uh, Duvall. Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall. Adam, Adam got hurt. They had him playing out of position in center. And he was much better in the corner. They wanted to give him to get back to the corner rather than play here every day in center in the heat and all that. So they moved him to left, and they wanted to get Michael Harris. They knew could play great defense, but they were just hoping he'd keep his head above water. They thought he could, but even if he just barely you know, kept his head above water, that'd be okay. But they've made the bold move. They bring this kid up at 20 years old from AA, two years after he'd been in high school in suburban Atlanta. And he wasn't even one of these kids that played year-round ball and was perfect game guy, travel ball. This kid's kid was was from the uh, is from a different background and did not play all that ball, so he was really inexperienced. But he was they knew he could play, and he knew the defense would play at the big league level. So they brought him up. He surpassed all expectations. Marquise Grissom has worked with the kid, and he came up and he wasn't overwhelmed at all. He ends up being rookie of the year last year after they bring him up at the end of May. So that was the third guy, and then they did it again this year. Uh, with the two prospects of spring training that they came into, uh, these guys had pitched a little in AAA, but uh, again, they were young guys with no major league experience. They put them into the fifth starter competition and uh, ends up there. One of those kids, Schuster, is pitching really well now. Uh, but Smith Shaver was another in along the lines of uh, of uh, Soroka and Michael Harris that we were yep. just kind of dumbfounded. But at this point, we're like, Actually, I was talking with uh, another one of the beat writers a couple of days before that, and we were looking at these starts that Smith Shaver was having was just dominant. Yeah, and it motored him to Triple A. Finally, gave up a run in, in his two starts there, but he'd only made two starts there. Seven starts all year. Started out in A ball. Right. Twenty years old. Kid did not start pitching until after his junior year in high school. Three years ago, literally, he was a third baseman, and he was going to go play football at Texas Tech. He was a quarterback. But anyway, he's such a, got such a great arm, and it comes so fast this year, developing a slider um, and his command. He's he cut the walks down drastically. So when they needed when they needed a starter, we're out in uh, we're out in Oakland, and what does what does what does Alex do? Brings the kid up, man, for our, for bullpen help out in Oakland, and then sticks him into the starting rotation a week later, and he just held his own. He's been fine, so. Alex is of the mindset. He just doesn't care what all the rules have been. And the, and the irony is that the manager is a baseball lifer, Snitker, who's, you know, 67 years old, a minor league guy for four decades. Right. And Snit's all about the comes from the, the age where every prospect spent one year at every level minimum. So they spent four or five years in the minor leagues. And that's what Snit grew up on. And he felt, and he believes in that too, but he's also knows that the game has changed. And it's working for the Braves, and and he Snit is the most adaptable guy in the world. Even though he may still believe in this system, he allows he 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 goes along with Alex and says, "If you're gonna bring up Smith Shaver, then let's go, let's do it." And uh, it kind of goes 
also this Smith's funny man because he's a he's a guy that he's a, he's old school in every way possible, but he's got maybe one of the most flamboyant players in the game in Acuna, and Snit does not tell him don't do this, don't do that because he knows the game is what it is now, and you're not going to survive in the game if you try to be the, what the game used to be. So he's a smart guy, Snicker. Yeah, I mean they, they they just have it going on on so many different levels, and 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 clearly great coaching staff. Yeah, there's no great doubt, and, and you still got some of those guys that are around. You, you you know you were going through some of the, you know the guys that are still around. Chipper's still around. Grissom's still yep. around. I mean some of these guys that were great Chipper's players, and now they're giving the back players. to the game and Hall of Fame players in some cases. But um, now comes this weekend for the Reds. I mean, look. You and I were going back and forth on email yesterday a little bit. I mean, nobody thought in their right mind, including here in Cincinnati, the most hardcore fan, that this would be a matchup in the middle of June between yeah. two division leaders. I think everybody saw Atlanta and said, oh, okay, they'll probably come rolling in. We're going to have a concert Friday night after the game. We're going to have a big Hunter Green jersey giveaway on Saturday. Maybe get some fans in the stands because nobody's coming anymore. Um were there any comments at all? You were in Philadelphia with the team. They got rained out two days ago. They won in 10 innings yesterday. Did, did, did they have any thoughts or did, did Brian have any thoughts about playing the Reds and the way the Reds are yeah. playing now? Yeah, oh yeah, they're well aware of what they're doing right now. And they've all said, yeah, it's not going to get any easier. We go from this to another team this streak and the Reds are good. They know all about their talent and what they're doing. They faced them earlier this year. They know how good. They faced Hunter Green, I think, a couple of times already. So they know what he's got. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, they're well aware. And, 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 and I think everybody's kind of looking forward to seeing Ellie. Everybody's been talking about him. Everybody knows that he's kind of their Acuna for sure. So you're going to have, you're going to have arguably the two. I mean, there's a kid out in, in Seattle, obviously, and there's Tatis in San Diego, but, uh, you could argue that the two most dynamic players in baseball are going to be on the field in this game, in this series with, uh, with Ellie and, uh, and obviously Acuna. But, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see. Right now, you, you know, Acuna is just—I mean, his numbers this year are just sick. Yeah, he's hands I mean, down. They MVP really right are now. just sick. Not only from a power standpoint, a batting average standpoint, on base percentage, slugging, but what thirty-one stolen bases? Maybe I missed one yesterday. I don't know. Yeah, he's uh, a, he it, got another one insane. yesterday. He's on okay. pace for seventy steals and. 33 homers. Nobody's ever had 30 homers and 60 steals in a season. I thought Eric Davis did that one year. I thought he went 30-80. Was he 20-80, something like that? Because anyway, I mean. Nobody, yeah. Yeah, Acuna's doing stuff. Eric Davis is a good comparable, though. Well, I think that Acuna hits for a little bit better average than Davis did, and I think that yeah. uh, you know Acuna yeah, is just a phenomenal player. Uh, David, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you're uh, really busy and traveling this morning already, and uh, congratulations on the award in North Carolina. So safe travels there, and hopefully we'll catch up with you down the road. All right, man. Good talking to you. You too, Dave. Dave O'Brien, kind enough, covers the Atlanta Braves, has for a number of years for The Athletic at theathletic.com. We talk about that. Uh, website all the time. If you're into sports, that's as good as it gets. And that guy right there, I mean, he is on top of it as much as any beat writer uh, there is in Major League Baseball today. Um, any impressions, fellas, about all that? There was a lot going on there with the Braves uh, and, and, and a lot of the things that they have done to build this thing up and get to where they are now, which is the juggernaut, really, of the National League. Well, you touched on it with how we've already extended Hunter Green, and you hope we're going to do that with our young guys this offseason. The Braves' model is how 
and not that Atlanta's a small market, it's not by any means, but the Braves' model is how small market teams can win. You lock up these superstars early. I hate to say it, but before they realize their full value and you get them on a somewhat team-friendly deal and you can keep guys for a decade all across the field. And that's what we talked about when we're talking about moving Jonathan India and stuff. You get these guys in the position that they're going to play for the future and you stay in there. Like Austin Riley only plays third base. Ozzie Albies only plays second base. These guys are so comfortable in where they are and they have the long-term security of being an Atlanta Brave that they can just relax and play baseball. And I think that's part of the reason why we see them, you know, night in and night out being one of the best teams in the league. You know, you get to the whole thing, though, and, you know, really the, the, um, the Cleveland Indians at the time, the Indians, now the Guardians, but at the time, they were the first team that saw guys like Albert Bell and Manny Ramirez and Carlos Baerga and Sandy Alomar Jr. and Roberto Alomar Jr., right? They, 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 uh, Roberto Alomar. They, they, they were the first ones to see these young players, Jim Tomey, uh, Richie Sexton, who was this big, huge slugger back in the 90s when the Indians went to a couple of World Series, lost them both. Uh, but, but, but they had, for me, even more than this Atlanta team, for me, if you were looking for just position players all coming together at one time, I have never seen a group of players to come up with one team at one time in my life that were more talented than that group. And, and John Hart, who was the general manager at the time in Cleveland, was really the first guy who started to sign these young players to long-term deals. Now, clearly, you know, let's, let's just use De La Cruz as an example to try to put it in perspective. You've watched him now for two and a half weeks, okay? You're probably not going to do it during this season. You're going to watch him the rest of the year. But like the Braves did with Acuna, like the Braves did with Albies, he talked about some of the other guys. You know, you, you weigh the decision of, okay, we're going to pay them a lot more money, 8, 9, 10, 12 times the amount they would make as a second-year player in the big leagues. You're going to pay them a ton of money for their second year, their third year, their fourth year, their fifth year. In some cases, you're even going beyond that of where they would go to arbitration, start making a pile of money, after the third year, second year in some of the Super 2 cases. It is a roll of the dice. Make no mistake about it, because there have been some guys that have been signed through the years with other teams where you give them that long-term deal like the Reds did with Hunter Green this year, and for whatever reason, injury, uh, unproductive, uh, the deal turns out to be a disaster. You're on the hook for somebody who, who doesn't even make it. Um, I mean, do you, you heard him say he'd sign De La Cruz right now. I mean, if you're the general manager of the Reds, Elliot, owner of the Reds, whatever it might be, are you going to start going out? And Nick Crawl was asked this question the other day, and he came out and said it takes you know, two sides to make a deal. I mean, would you be in favor of rolling the dice on McLean, Steer, De La Cruz? We've already seen it with Green, maybe Abbott. You know, you think about doing that or yeah. you wait a little while? No, I think I, I, I do it as soon as possible. Maybe not with every guy, but certainly with Ellie, I would certainly do it with McLean. Uh, I would certainly look at it with Abbott. Maybe maybe give Abbott a couple, a little bit more time there because we've seen the regression with Graham Ashcraft. But I, I do think the earlier you, you lock these guys up, and, and, Tom's, and Thomas said it, it's the Braves method works. You lock these guys up early, you take that risk. And this is the path. This is this is what Nick Crawl said we're going to do. So you might as well, you might as well do it, right? 
go be fully committed to it. This is what we're doing. If, if, we're, if we're not going to, you know, spend a ton of money elsewhere on free agents, and we're going to go the, the prospect route, pay the prospects. Build on this team. Paul, your thoughts. Would yeah. you be doing it? Yeah, I would. I would. Look, you have something here. You have some magic. You have lightning in a bottle here. You finally have the fan momentum. You, you have all these things that that uh, are, are building your way toward the franchise. Let's do it. Why not? If I had to put them in order for me, I want to hear your guys' order. If you had to put them in order, three of them. Steer, McLean, De La Cruz. I'm not asking you who you think will be the best player of the group. If you go by sheer talent, okay, there's no question. De La Cruz has the most tools. But if you had to, to in order, one, two, and three, if the Reds decided we got Votto, and I read this the other day, you got Votto at the end of the year, coming off the books, $25 million per year. Although you have to pay him $7 million to go away. You're not going to pick up his option, even if he hits 340 this year. You're not bringing him back for $20-plus million next year. Or at least it would be against the grain of everything you say and have said you want to do and want to be as an organization. All right, so Votto comes off the books, right? Their next highest-paid player, I think, was Will Myers. He comes off the books. You're still paying Ken Griffey Jr., which I think is the final year of a contract with him. Yep. He will come off the books. And I believe, I could be wrong I read this, I believe their fourth-highest-paid player on this team is Kurt Casale. I think it was like, it's either Kurt Casale or Luis Sessa. Oh, right, right. It was Sessa, okay. then Casale. You're right. Mike Moustakis was in there, too. Well, yeah, that was the other. Yeah, that was, yeah so that's I'll, a big one. That's $18 million or right. so. So either way, they're all gone now. I would, I, would, I would pay Ellie first. I would pay Ellie first. I would pay Matt McClain second. And I would pay Steer third. Ellie, what Ellie has done for the city in a very short – and it doesn't even seem like Ellie's playing well. I know a lot of people have been saying that. Ellie just doesn't seem uh, fully comfortable with the plate yet. He's hitting 300. What he's done for this city in a, in, a, in a remarkably short amount of time is impressive. I would pay Ellie first. He would be my number one priority. McLean is very, very closely behind him. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Steer is, is third, but I think the gap, I mean, McLean and Ellie are getting all this love, and rightfully so. They're amazing players, but what Spencer Steer has done for this team from opening day until this point has yep. been unbelievable. And the willingness to move around to position to position, him, you know, allegedly get offering on his own accord to move to the outfield, that's the kind of guy you need on a team like this. I and mean, we have big-name guys coming up that we're, we're relying on to be superstars. You need the guys that are willing to move around and blend in where they can help the team most. Spencer Steer is absolutely crucial to the future of this team. Trace put in the chat, TJ Friedel, is there a conversation of no. extending Friedel for a couple no. of years? No, not, not for me. Uh, there are other guys that are far ahead of the line for him. For me, I'm putting McLean one. I am too, Tom. I'm putting McLean number one, uh, only because there is a maturity about him where he's walked in the door, and it's all just been like, shh, very quiet around him. He just goes out and plays his long-term position for sure, unlike De La Cruz, which we don't know about yet. Time will tell. His long-term position is going to be as a middle infielder. More than likely shortstop. I still maintain they're going to move De La Cruz. To me, he's a guy that, that's got to be playing a corner outfield uh, eventually. Good enough athlete to play center. Good enough athlete clearly to play short. 
has played some third. Maybe that's in the mix. Guys like that, you want the wear and tear off their bodies. You really do. And over the course of a long baseball season, year after year after year, the big, tall guys, and Ella Cruz is going to put on weight. Uh, De La Cruz, I'd like to see him in right. like to see him down at third. But that's just for me. For me, I go McLean, De La Cruz, and, and you know, Steer, I'm going to give long thought about because, Jacob, I think you bring up a great point. He's proven to you he'll play third. He's proven to you he can play first. He's proven to you that he's all in about the team. He'll play anywhere you want, which I think you could say the same thing about uh, De La Cruz uh, and certainly McLean. What order would you put him in, Paul? I would probably go Ellie one, McLean two, Steer three. Okay. Casey? I mean, selfishly, I'm picking Matt McClain because I'm a Matt McClain stand guy. I love, I love MM9. He's my guy. He'll always <laughs> be my guy out of this group. But I, I, can't, I can't blame anyone that wants to pay Ellie right now. I mean, he's not only just hitting 300, he's hitting 321. He's leading the team right now. And I know it's only 50-something at-bats, but... 150. You're talking about McClain. No, I'm talking about Ellie. Oh, okay, Ellie, okay. Yeah, Ellie has got 50-something at-bats, and he's hitting at 321 right now. Matt McClain has got 144 at-bats and 313. So, I mean, those two have just been electric. I love both of them for different reasons. But I'm a Matt McClain guy. I'm going to pay him first shortly after Ellie. Tell you one guy I'm not going to sign. I would not have done the Hunter Green deal. And, um, and, and, and look, that's not sitting here and second-guessing. I'm not beating them up. I understand why they did it. It's fine. Uh, but I'm not – and look, the deals that are given to most of these guys around baseball, right? Um, uh, why am I drawing a blank on a kid's name? Wander. Uh, Franco. Franco. Right, okay. So he gets this big long-term deal, right? 10, 11 years with yep. a 12th option, that kind of – I am only giving these kinds of deals to position players. I am under no circumstances giving any of these contracts to pitchers. And the Reds have already done that with Hunter Green. Four starts in the big leagues, I can't remember the last time that, that me personally, that I have been more impressed with a starting pitcher than I have been with Andrew Abbott. This kid, he's on it, man. I mean, he is on it. He's savvy. He's calm. He's a strike thrower. He competes. He doesn't want to come out of games. He's pitch efficient. Every time he takes a ball... I mean, you know, you're lucky to get four and five innings out of the rest of that rotation, minus Green and Lodolo, right? I mean, Ashcraft went a month and a half. He wasn't getting to the fifth unless they left him in there and you just get killed, right? Same thing with Lively. He's had some good starts, but same deal. Weaver, we talked about the last four starts. He's pitched 18 innings combined. So all these other guys, they're not big-time prospects anyway. Um, but no way I'm giving any of these long-term contracts to a pitcher. Position player, I got to think long and hard about it, but I would certainly lean more so in that direction. The pitchers, I, Green, it's already happened. But, but it seems like this rash of injuries, um, again, 
to pitchers around baseball. It, it, it felt like we got like a two or three year sort of break on that. And now all of a sudden, and there is some debating that this pitch clock could have something to do with it. I mean, there, there's a lot of talk out there. The Athletic did a big players-only poll the other day. It was a fascinating article um, where they went through diff- different topics, and especially the rule changes, uh, you know, the size of the bags to increase the running game in baseball, um, uh, shifts, all this kind of thing. And it was pointed out by a, a couple of the uh, pitchers who were interviewed for this um, that would go on the record and, and allow them to use their name in their quotes is that they wonder if the pitch clock has something to do with the amount of injuries we're seeing in pitchers. I think it's a legitimate question. I do too. I, I think, and you've seen it with, uh, I think the biggest proponent of this is Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays. He was coming in this year as probably a top 10 pitcher in the American League. He is now, where is he, Jacob? He's playing baseball in, yeah, complex all the way down league, complex in, a, league. in a summer league. I don't know what he's doing. And I think for him, it was definitely the pitch clock. It was getting adjusted to the speed of how you have to throw your pitches. You have to, in a timely manner, you just have to be ready. And I think that does play a factor when you're rushing your pitches. It's not like you're getting four minutes between pitches like it was two years ago. So I do think that plays a factor. And I agree with you about paying pitchers as well. Um, I I think Hunter Green's deal was a a very team-friendly deal, which is why I'm okay with it. But you look at Steven Strasburg with the Nationals, that guy will never play baseball again. You look at Jacob deGrom with the Rangers, that guy, he's going to give you, what, six games a year? So I don't know. If you extend these guys, there is a a strong chance. I think there's more Tommy John surgeries now than there ever has been. That's a year. That's just a, a gap year there. So I, I, I think you're I think you're onto something with not extending pitchers early like this. Well, you know, you know um, some inside the chat, and, and you bring up great points about. I think Steve Ross says you know Green's contract is not debilitating if it does not work out. I don't agree with that when it comes to a smaller market team. If you're the New York Yankees or the Atlanta Braves, better example. If you're the Atlanta Braves and you heard Dave O'Brien a minute ago talking about all this money that they are reeling in from outside of the primary ones, your national television money, your local television money, selling tickets, selling jerseys, selling hot dogs and beer and popcorn and peanuts. But now all of a sudden, because they own all that land, you just heard him talk about, I mean, whether it's condos that are getting built, whether it's bars, whether it's restaurants, whether it's office space in these buildings, I mean, the Braves, and for him to draw an analogy, I know he wasn't drawing an analogy, but I mean, the Braves thing out there at their ballpark compared to the Cardinals, I mean, downtown St. Louis has been one of the most violent cities, number one in the country, most violent city in America for a decade. And those are statistical facts. That's not made up. This year, I think they finished second. The DeWitts own all that land around the ballpark. But people ain't hanging out in downtown St. Louis for a long time after a game. You're just not doing it. In Atlanta, where the ballpark is now compared to where it used to be downtown, that's a whole different. That's like building uh, here in Cincinnati, building the ballpark out in Mason or up here in Westchester or somewhere. And you own all the land around it, and everybody feels like they can hang out there all hours of the day or night, and everything's cool. Um, 
the one thing I, I wonder about, and when you start to connect the dots, I wonder how teams are going to be affected by this Bally's thing in terms of wanting to give a long-term contract to anybody, right? I mean, if all of a sudden you take the Reds, for example, I can't remember what their local TV deal is, 30, 40, 50 million a year. Okay, they got paid the last payment due. It was late, but they got it. Now, will they get it the next time? I don't know. I mean, Valley's just filed for bankruptcy. Will they get it the next time? Okay, well, all of a sudden, if you take a franchise like the Reds, and this gets, you know, there's a parallel here between signing a guy to a contract and how much it really affects a team, as Steve asked a question or pointed out. You know, the Yankees can give the five, six, seven million dollar deal to a young player when you got a $240 million payroll. Who cares? Okay. Right, you write it off, got insurance on the guy if he gets hurt. If you don't have insurance on the guy, you, okay, fine. If you're the Reds um, and that guy doesn't work out, it's a disaster. Look at Moustakis. That was only a three-year deal. Yep. Disaster, right? Yep. You're not blaming anybody. It's just, it's a disaster. You're paying him to play for somebody else right now to the tune of $18 million a year. Yep. To come in and try and beat your tail. So, I just wonder, Paul, where all of this is going, if all of a sudden, you know, like in San Diego, MLB has taken over the Padres television package because they didn't get paid. Yeah. They got a payroll out there of $250 million, $280 million a year. How does that affect your – it's got to affect your decision about signing guys' contracts, right? Well, when there's this much instability, you have to figure that at some point you need some stability to sign these guys to contracts. And right now when you're looking at the Bally's deal for the Reds, it looks like things are kind of headed in that San Diego direction, are they not? So then what do you do with all the money because – that's money that you're thinking about that you're guaranteed or you think you're guaranteed you can use to sign these guys to long-term deals. That's a massive part of where you get your revenue as a professional team is from a TV deal. Yeah, they're going to get all the national money. Those are long-term deals and Fox and Turner, uh, ESPN. I mean, those guys aren't going belly up. Uh, so you're going to get all that money. But that local money is still a lot of money. And I just wonder what kind of effect that'll have for the long haul. Um, okay, hey, look, I want to ask you about one thing real quick, totally shifting gears because we only got about four minutes left. Um, uh, were you surprised Colby Jones goes in the second round? Yeah, a little bit. I thought he might end up in Indiana there at the end of the first round. But I think the, the classic line with the NBA draft, Tom, is how funny it is when uh, there's a million trades on one pick. And everybody just gets so confused. I think there's a lot of frustration right now in the NBA with how hard it is to follow a lot of the contracts and the trades yep. and everything else. I mean, it is damn near impossible to figure out what happens when there's a trade or a contract or anything else. It feels like there's so many stipulations. There's so many things going on that, you know, you're trying to follow the draft and you see the little graphic pop up that so-and-so was traded as so-and-so. I don't know. I think – I think uh, – I was, I'm not surprised that he ended up in Sacramento. That was a, a popular destination for him. So I'm not surprised that he ended up in Sacramento. Uh, he'd been kicked around Sacramento, Boston, Indiana. He'd gotten a lot of buzz there. Uh, Denver. Those were kind of the four teams that you thought about. Um, but look, Sacramento was a team that was 250-1 to one to win the division last year preseason. They won the division. They had the best offense in the league. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's joining a fun team. I don't know how good they'll be next year and how much sustained success they'll have from that run, whether they caught lightning in a bottle or whether it's sustained success. But, uh, yeah, I was a little surprised they didn't go in round one. But pretty much all the projections had him somewhere between 20 and 35, and he ended up at 34. Okay. From Charlotte to Boston to I mean, Sacramento. It's I mean, has anybody heard it's from wild. him? Has anybody talked to him or anything about, about that whole so thing? Colby? No, I had Okay. No, I haven't. All right. I didn't I know if anybody so. else had. And, no, no, no. And that whole nine yards. I, I also haven't really checked in on all that yet this morning because I, I came right in here. So well, it happened so it, fast. Uh, okay. We have power rankings today. We do. All That's right. Our cherry Are we ready on to top? roll? That's our cherry on top. All right. Who's doing these today? It's Elliot's Elliot. today. Let's Elliot. go. Let's go. All right, here we go. This is our cherry on top presented by United Dairy Farmers, our power rankings. And they've been expanded to seven, correct? Yes. They're, well, you're, it's they're your call. Seven. You're the boss. Okay, here we go. Run Are we ready, Casey? Run the cherry on top while you're – here we go. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm, I was in the middle of actually putting in the, the rankings, so that's okay. my bad. Excited for this this week. Put them in? Yep. Yep. Where are we at? Oh, right here? Yep. Yep. Got it. All right. The floor right. is yours, here Elliot. We go. Elliot. All right. Here we go. You ready? The most popular guy in the room with one and the most unpopular with everybody <laughs> Number seven. It's the way no. I feel when I go in most places. Go ahead. <laughs> Number seven. Now, this is going to be a controversial one. It's OJ. OJ had a bad, a bad week. However, OJ has served his punishment. I kept removing him from the chat. Thus, he makes the top seven. Congratulations, OJ. Okay. Number how, does, how does he make the top seven when you timed him out almost every? Yeah, time? but that's why I kind of kind of feel bad. I kind of bullied him. He had a bad he had a bad week. He had a bad week, and I and I and I timed him out a bunch of times. But that's okay. So is this a participation? Elliot's seven? bending the no, knee. No, 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 no. There's no knee bending. Can you number six? Is number six available? Number six is available. PB's ghost. This is my guy. PB's ghost is a staple of this chat. He is always here every day, right on time. This is my guy. I love PB's ghost. And he always uses the zebra emoji in the chat. I appreciate it. He is one of the most dedicated zebra emoji users. That's sure. true. Yes. Uh, number number five. Are we ready? Yeah. Everett. Everett is my Ooh. guy. Now, I, don't, I still don't think Everett likes me, if I'm going to be completely honest. However, I, I enjoy Everett's discussion. He wants to challenge me in a golf match, Tom. I think I could beat Everett. I significantly, probably by seven strokes, I'd beat him by. But oh, if, wow. Everett, if, if, Everett, if Everett wants to be five, he's five. All right, number four. He is not here today. It's a real shame. But Alex Wallace. Alex Wallace. Wait a minute. Is, wait uh -oh. minute. Still has Everett uh -oh. up there. It's Everett's Alex here. Wallace. Uh oh. Okay. Al oh. Hold on. Hold on. Everybody calm down. It is. Who could this be? Hold Everybody on. calm down. Hold on. I haven't even revealed it. Top four. We don't even know. This is number four is Alex Wallace, right? Number four is Alex Wallace. All right, hold on. Let me hold give, on. Everybody let calm me give down. give Alex his credit. While I'm doing this, what I will say is I was going back yesterday and watching some of our very first shows. I saw Alex Wallace on, I think, the second or third show. He's been there since day one. Number four, congratulations, Alex Wallace. There we go, Alex Wallace. I like the uh, picture you Kevin used. Kevin said too. Alex is a fraud. Go ahead. <laughs> number three. Number three is my guy, Sir Boy. Tom, I met Sir Boy at GABP the other day. I, I went up to him. I took a picture with him. It was very nice. Sir Boy is my guy. I think he was my number one the last time I did this, but right yeah. now he's three because these other two guys have had phenomenal weeks. At number two, at number two, 
Drew Garrison. Ooh. Drew has spent roughly $10,000 on Chatterbox Sports <laughs> over the past two weeks. Drew deserves the number two spot, and he's got it. I believe it's his daughter's birthday. Happy birthday to Drew's daughter. Tomorrow. Drew, owes Tomorrow. You, Drew owes you an apology because he said when the rankings started to be unveiled, he said, Elliot has caved to the woke mob. <laughs> no, I, there's Drew no. The woke listen, mob no, no, no. No, there's no woke mob. I'm, I, you know, I, this is my honest power rankings here. OJ, sorry for banning you a bunch of times, but you kind of deserved it a little bit. All right. My number one this week, without question. <laughs> Mouse Cop. Mouse, Cop. Back to Mouse back. Cop is our guy. Mouse Cop has been a staple. He's been singing Unwritten with me the past two weeks. Mouse Cop, you are well deserving of a number one, and congratulations to your guy, Colby Jones, getting drafted. Is Ma Ma is Mouse Cop. Is Mouse Cop a dynasty? Mouse Cop is, is, no, is approaching dynasty. Three out of five is dynasty. dynasty. Yeah. Three out of five. He's won three out of five. That's what you need to be a dynasty, and he's I, two in a row right now. So. Well, that, yeah, but I think he won... No, he's won. He won. A has few he times not already. won three out of five? Has he? I think he might have. I think. <laughs> I think he has. Oh boy, it's time to start asking: Is Mouse Cop bad for the sport of chat power rankings? Mm. Mouse Cop says he thinks this is his third win. Oh, I know. I gave it to him. Now Elliot, I, I think. Remember. I think Reed, it's a. I think Reed it's a has definitely given it to him at least once. No, no, no. Reed I, has given it no, to him. No, I don't think Reed no gave it to way. Mouse Cop. Yeah, very early. Very early. No, but he's saying three out of the last five. Oh, three out of the last oh, okay. five. Okay. All right. I think he's got it. Honorable mentions, Evan and Tim. Shout out those guys. But what a week. What a week it's been in the chat. We, this, <laughs> this chat really was like an all-time week. It was. Tom, I don't know if you have ever heard of the song Unwritten, but Natasha Bedingfield. Ever heard that song? Should you remind probably heard it. Paul, should you, it should you remind him, Paul? Should we remind him? Have you ever heard the song, Tom? I'm sure I I can probably. play you 30 seconds of the well, song. Well, no, it, why would, would you play well, it? We, we can, can sing it. Well, no, no, I just, you know. Non-copyright harmonization. Non-copyright music. Yeah, no, it's it's okay. I just yes. I just didn't know if maybe, you know, like. Hold on. Here we go. This is good. This is, this is really good. You know this. Like, at some point, your daughter or Luke or. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've heard this song. Yeah. Make the words that you cannot find reaching for something in the distance. So close you can almost taste it. Release your inhibitions. Feel the rain on your skin. No one else can feel it for you. Only you can let it in. Sing it, Tom. No one else. No one else can speak the words on your lips. Come on, Tom. With words unspoken, with arms wide open, today is where your book begins, the rest is still unwritten. <laughs> Tom wanted to sing. Come on, Tom. It happens about <laughs> once a month where I realize how far my career has fallen. <laughs> I hope more and more. Oh. Look at this. Oh, jolly, jolly. Jolly, jolly. Jolly, jolly. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Hang on, everyone. We're going to. Hold Thank on a second. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Let's we go. love Jake. Hey. Jolly, jolly. jolly. Absolutely. Let's go. Thank you. Right here in Hamilton, Ohio. Let's go. That is fantastic. All right. That's big. Thank lane. you. Thank you. Jolly, you doing all right? Jolly. Doing all right? Yeah, but how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank yeah. you. Perfect. Thank you. 
I know it. I know it. Green Bay, Wisconsin together. That was a lot of fun. Great to see you, Mr. Jollibet. Hope you're doing all right. All right, buddy. Have a great weekend. We thank Let's them. Go. Jolly, Jolly. Thank you. How about thank that? You. Thank you. How about that, fellas? That was a great better than that. What if I'm We just went from the lowest low to the highest high in, I mean, a blink of an eye. You guys singing to now Jolly Jollies for lunch. Trace, why did you not sing with us? What is that? Is that sweet tea? Oh, the root beer. <laughs> we got a gallon of, of the root beer? beer man. Love oh, it's beer. so good. That is very good. Right, we're about to dig in, although we have box lunch now, right? No box lunch today. Reed had a Reed event. is occupado. Reed, is, Reed has an event in Cincinnati, so no box lunch today. We are going to eat our Jolly Jollies while it's hot and uh, enjoy our Friday and head on down to GABP or wherever we're all going. All righty, boys. Case, have a great weekend. Paulie, likewise. Thank Elliot, you, Jacob, yep. everybody have a great weekend. We thank everybody for being with us today and all week long. We'll look forward to seeing you on uh, Monday. God bless. Have a great weekend.